0: Talking to my friend, notorious muckraker, fun guy, all around, Gewaldige Hevermann, Loser Tversky. Loser, who yes. in the world is this guy, Loser Tversky? Tell me, where do you come from? Who are you? What are you? Give us some background.
1: Uh, God, the last good memory I had is July 25th, 1985. Just hours before I was born, everything was fucking perfect.
0: It's been downhill
1: ever since. Basically, yeah, and no, then you yeah. know I just come out and it's cold and it's wet, and it's this and it's that, and I've been complaining Grimming and they're
0: slapping you, what's going yeah. on here?
1: And I've been complaining ever since, but july twenty fifth thousand 1985 was a great day uh, july twenty sixth is when everything started going haywire well, I, you know I was born in Barapak, in a Maimonides hospital. My parents you know the and my mama is you know my mother was a you know a daughter of another Rebbe. so yeah, you know, I had a big family, um, always diving into my father's shul and, you know, I never really was never really part of any, like, larger, like, group, like, Satmar or bells or anything. I mean, I went to Bells of but I, you know, I was not never really considered a Bells of Chusid because my father was his own Rebbe. And
0: would it, would was, you compare your upbringing or the style, the Hasidic style, to bells? Or is it similar to bells or someone else? So it was a
1: combination of, like, bells and Satmar because it was, like, old school bells. So my father was very like the Rufschoenlerwuche, you know, he was like the current Bells assistant didn't really, was too modernized, didn't really appeal to him. He liked the real Fafrimte, the real like, you know, extremist version of Bells that was before Mm -hmm. the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we grew up kind of like in the shadow of that a little bit. So in terms of like where we belonged and what we followed, it was a lot Bells, but in terms of like, Other ways, it was very satma, you know? So for Mm -hmm. example, like my family was never like, like Israeli politics was never a thing in our household and in Belts, it was always a thing because they've always been part of, um, they always voted and they always took money from the government and in our family, we were like more anti-Zionist anti than uh, than Belts. belts. Yeah, so it was like, I was always kind of like stuck in the middle over there
0: in a way. No, you just (laughs) reminded me. It's funny, I went to Yeshiva in Borough Park I was a few blocks away from Bell's. I think it might have been a girls' school. I'm not sure. It was on 14 and like maybe 39th or something. I, I believe. Yeah,
1: Minkatch was there, I think.
0: No, the other way. The other way from Minkatch. The other, the opposite direction. I don't know. Anyways, it was some building there. It was like a girl school or something. I forget. It might, it might have been a boys' school. 14 and 39th for 38. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a Minkatch school over there. Not Minkatch. Oh, Minkatch school. Right. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So one. One Purim, I'm nice and drunk, and I'm like 16, 17, 18. I don't know what I was. And I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I'm going around like, you know, you snore I'm Purim for money. So I'm saying, Moizdus Bells, Moizdus Bells. I chagunsh mit bells. But I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. So then my, at some point, I, met, I pulled this joke on my Rosh Shiva. I said something about Moizdus Bells. So he pulls me aside the next day. He's like, were you actually collecting for bells? I was like, what's up, with Bells? I was collecting for us. He's like, you, you, you're lying. You were telling everybody you're going after collecting for bells. You got to go to bells and give them the money. So I mm-hmm. walked down there. I had to find some guy and explain like a like a weirdo. Like I, I was yeah. making a joke, but here's my 50 bucks that I collected for you by by accident.
1: You know, it reminds me of a, this is a super inside joke, but during one of the, I forgot which, uh, you know, one of these times where everybody goes around and says, it's right. there, it's there. I had a friend in yeshiva who would go around. He had a very loud voice, and he would go around with a collection thing and, and say, "Shteiz de boot, shteiz de boot." Yeah, Not even that funny, and it, it's such an inside joke that is not even that funny.
0: But it went, uh, but if you if you it get is, it, you get it.
1: No, it, yeah, but it's it is it, it could end up being a true waste of thirty seconds of valuable podcast time.
0: Fine. So you grew up in Bar Park, you, got, yeah. you went to Yeshiva Chider or whatever bells, right? You have Yiches, Faltet Shah, Yeah, you're, you're, uh, yichas, fal yeah um, I wore, wore a kalpik after my bar
1: mitzvah. I wore a kalpik. That's hardcore. Yeah. That's real bells. Yeah. Kalpik, Vasa Zokin after I was married.
0: Yeah. Wow, oh, yeah.
1: wow. Hardcore. Yeah.
0: So how did it come to be that I met you? I, I forget the year. It must have been like 2005, six ish. Oh, much later. With, with the beard, with the payas, but you had a non-Jewish girlfriend, or at least she didn't look religious. I'm at a house party and I'm like, who in the world, what am I looking at? What, what is going on here? Yeah. So, so catch me up, what happened in, there, in that meantime? That must've been much later in 2006. It, it must have long. Been,
1: Yeah, it must've been at least 2009, because I don't think I met that girl until uh, much later. Uh, and we were together for a while, we were together for a long time, like three years. What happened? Well, you know, I went to yeshiva in Belz. And then when, it came, when I became bar mitzvah and I was supposed to be sent to yeshiva, Bells didn't want to take me because I was too much of a troublemaker because I got kicked out all the time. I was causing chaos. And like, I, you know, just the, the Hanhula, the, you know, the, the administration just couldn't figure out what to do with me. So they sent me off. My father sent me to Vizhnitz for a year. And then I got kicked out of Vizhnitz. And my father sent me off to like this school for Nebuchs in Mansi. Oh
0: boy. Which, which, which school, yeshiva?
1: Torah uh, Chaim, Shulam Rekayach. Yeah, I was a tiny, like 25 kids. Uh, he yeah. didn't know what the hell he was doing. I mean, he, was, he, wanted, he wanted to be a Rosh shiva, so he started Yeshiva for Zabrach and Abucham. Yeah. So I was sent there. I was there for a year, got kicked out of there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I was sent to Teres Chesed in London. Okay. And that's where I stayed until I got married. So that's where I stayed until I was 1920. Uh, then I got married, lived in Muncie for three years with my uh, ex-wife and children. I had two children and then uh, and I li- moved to Muncie. But the funny thing is like, listen, my entire childhood, I was incredibly unhappy. I was a very, very unhappy child. And that remains to this day. And it's one of the things where like, I get people on like, you know, like religion, like, are you happy now? I was like, I was never happy. Why would I be happy now? I'm not a happy right. person, you know? Like, it's not what I do. You know, I understand the right. Thing is happiness. That's not my thing. I'm not a happy person. Right. So I was never happy. I was always, uh, I never fit
0: in. And I also just never really bought it. When I must have met you that the first time must have been either once I was out of the army or I came home. You were just out of the army. so I'm like Just out, yeah. Yeah, so
1: this is, so when I, when I, when I met you, you were mm-hmm. just out of the army and you were starting at NYU. Yeah. That's when I met you. I remember we all had dinner with Shulam Dean at this right, restaurant. Right, I remember Shulam Dean yeah. being, here, yes. Yeah. Uh, God, I was I remember like this these were the days when like every one of us I think Shulem was the one who had a little bit of money at the time. I think he still had some left from like his programming days. He was just out, he was fresh out. Maybe not, maybe I'm just projecting here stuff and Shulam is gonna is gonna refute me and uh, and he's gonna get angry that we're talking about other people's money. But um Shulem, I was broke. And I remember I couldn't order a damn thing and i forgot who it was someone you had money from the gi bill that's what i remember
0: yeah you
1: were living off the gi bill so you had like a scholarship or something
0: right it comes and, with a, a, living, a, stipend, a right. living and stipend right whatever they call cost I, of living whatever yeah yeah and i couldn't order anything i was so broke and i remember one of you
1: guys ordered me something like a salad or something mm-hmm. um,
2: And
1: uh, but that's when we first met yeah. like michael jenkins was still it was still at footsteps We were like all part of like the second wave of footsteps. Like the first wave was like uh, Malky Schwartz, Adina
0: Kedden. Right. I met them when I first, first left the system or was about to. Then I went and joined the army and disappeared for five years and came back and kind of joined, as you said, like this, the second wave. I it's funny that you mentioned money because I was just talking to another friend who to me at the time, for sure, to me, he was a millionaire. Like he had right. a stable job. <laughs> he had an apartment. He, you know, and I mentioned that in passing something about money and he's he, he's laughing. He's like, well, who's money? Then money. But to me, you know, he seemed like the most established, stable, comfortable human being in the world because he, I mean, he, I, left, you know. I left
1: with nothing. I left with absolutely nothing. The only thing I had, the only thing I had in the beginning when I left was my car. And even that, I couldn't pay, you know, yeah. and I lost that within a few months after I left completely. But I had absolutely nothing. I had the clothes on my back. I had literally the clothes on my back. That's all I had. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's when we first met.
0: So tell me um, about the car. You told me that, that you had a stack of DVDs in your trunk, right? Was that that same car? No, no, no. That was like, so that was like way, way
1: before. That was like in the beginning. So here's what happened. So, you know, I, uh, when I was a kid, I, I just, what I was saying earlier is like, I just never really bought the story. You know, there was something about the whole like God thing. I was talking to someone and I was saying about talking about children. And I said, the most important thing you can do for your children is to be honest with yourself to be yes, true to yourself. Because if you're not true to yourself, your children will know. They're gonna smell and it from a mile know. away, yep. Yeah, they're going smell it from a mile away and they will know that you are trying to sell them something that you yourself don't believe in. So to this day, I think that one of the reasons why I didn't buy it is because like, I just thought my parents were unconvincing. I thought everyone around me was unconvincing. I thought like, there's no way they believe that. I, can t- I-, I could tell they-, they didn't want it either. But that they're kind of like just following the system of wherever it's going. So I think when I was a child, it just always never really, I was unhappy. I was always in my own head. I was always
0: like, you know, just doing my own thing. That's very interesting because, I mean, first, all, I mean, I, on my own, came to that realization. So my son was like three, four, and in my head, I'm having all of these questions and I'm doubting. And I realized at some point that he's going to, be old enough to start figuring out, to start, he's looking at me, he's looking at his right. mother, he's looking at his neighbors and his friends. And I have to figure out what I'm doing here. I can't be look, dressed one way and act another way or pretend exactly. to be one kind of person and another. And that in a way pushed me to decide, okay, I'm going one way or the other way. You know, because he's I, growing up. Yeah.
1: I don't think I had any realization at any point. I think to, like the majority of my childhood and my young adulthood, was mostly just frustration. Yeah. You know, I was mostly just frustrated because like, you know, I believed in God. I mean, like, I mean, why wouldn't I? I mean, like, what, what is the alternative? It's not like I had an alternative theory, you right. know? I didn't know about it. I, never, I was never taught about science. I was never taught about evolution or anything like that. So I had no alternative theory. So this is all I had to go by. So of course I believed. I was like, yeah, maybe, maybe not, but like, I believe. And I, I don't think there was like necessarily like a, re, like a point where I like realized like, oh my God, if I can point to anything, it would be like much later. Like when I was at least 21, I was already married. I already had kids. Oh, so, so once I was married, so when I was a teenager, um, I, had a, I had a friend who uh, was more quote unquote open-minded, you know?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, okay. Like he like, watched movies, he like, knew some stuff. He knew about sex and all that. <laughs> so when I was a teenager, like I would have occasional access to internet. I would have occasional access to a movie like, and I'm talking about like once a year or something. And I would like, because I'm a terrible criminal, I would always get caught. Of course. So I, right. I would like I would steal money and buy a computer or like I would steal money and buy a phone and then I would get caught and then it would be gone. And then I wouldn't know anything. So I had some, some exposure to it. So when I finally had my freedom, you know, once I got married and I, could, I would be my own person, of course I discovered Blockbuster Video. And in the beginning, I didn't even know, I, this is a true story. I think I've told this like a million times before at the beginning I didn't even know that you could rent movies so I would go to Blockbuster and every movie I wanted to see I would buy it that's amazing so and at a certain, yes and keep it at a certain and, and the thing is like of course I didn't know anything about movies so I had no taste so I had all these horrible movies that I now owned
0: you know? <laughs> what are you gonna do with them yeah. Right,
1: and I would hide them in my car. The first car I bought for $900 was like a 1990 Toyota Corolla. And I would hide them underneath the trunk but with the spare tire. Under and the carpet, I, yeah. Yeah, and that was fine as long as I had like two or three. But once I had like 50 movies, you know... What are you going to do with them? Remember, I drove to the... You know the truck stop between uh, Muncie and Monroe? That's only like... A, the like rest a, area, yeah. Area, the, what is it called? Slotsburg? Slotsburg, yep, exactly. Okay, so you know... After Slo, or or is it before sloatsburg or after the Tandem area, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So, I would drive into that one. Oh my gosh. Okay. And I would open my trunk, park next to the dumpster. <laughs> I would I bought a DVD sleeve holder. Right. And I would take each DVD, put it in this in, in the sleeve, and then throw the cover into okay, the dumpster. Yeah. Uh, the yeah into the dumpster. Um, and and I would sit in my car over there, like I would park between two trucks. And of course, you as a trucker know. Like you drive into a tandem lot and there's like a car in a truck. You stick out like a sore thumb. Not only do you stick out like a sore thumb, but some trucker is going to come over to you and tell you to get the fuck <laughs> out of it. Right. Yeah. So that happened to me a lot in the middle of a movie, like in the middle of some like, you know, like Mr. And Mr. Smith or whatever I was watching. Well, it didn't come out at the time yet. Oh, it did. It was out. It, that, that's when it came out, 2005. That that's the kind of stuff I would watch. All these like exciting like
0: uh, movies, and of course anything with an R rating would get immediately bought. That's funny. I mean, I when I first started going to movies, funny enough, I was still married. My ex-wife, my then-wife, she relative to me had you know a, a hair more hasugas than I had because right. she would sometimes listen to Z100 or something. Right. Or yeah, Z100. She had she that's watched Titanic, talking. you know, huh? 100 still around i think so yeah yeah or she she had seen titanic where like mm-hmm. I, I i was aware that they had made a movie because i saw in the shook in in machna Yehuda or something i saw a t-shirt for a movie that i, that I sort of figured out that they had made a movie about it but i like i had yeah. no idea she had seen the movie so she was already you know she was way ahead of me yeah. but so we slowly started sneaking off and going to movies in the movie theater we didn't have a tv at home of course god forbid yeah. but i remember we went to the theater and we saw this movie it was directed by steven spielberg so i was like oh he's a big name so it must must be a good movie gangen let's go watch it it was the 20th anniversary of et that okay. they re-released in the theaters and we're sitting there watching this kids movie i'm like what is going on? Oh, why are we, what is this? Why are we watching this movie? I, it, it took us so long, it took me until I had to go home and figure out, oh, it's a 20-year-old movie or something, you know? You know I, what's funny is that
1: people don't understand that like, you always like wonder like, how did you not know about movies? How could you not know? And I like, I figured out a way to explain it, okay? So like, thinking back to when we were kids, right? We would walk down the street and there would be like a large, you know, poster or a, a large... board. yeah, yeah and it would say like, you know, kill Bill, right? Right. right. I remember I, as a child, I looked at it, thinking back, like it said, kill Bill, September 25. How the fuck am I supposed to know what that means?
2: Right, right.
1: How was I supposed to know? All I saw is a Goy and a gun and a date, and I'm like, kill, okay, that's what Goyim do, kill. Hey, kill Bill,
0: somebody got, yeah.
1: Somebody named Bill, that's a Goyish name, and they're advertising, What? like in my own head, because of the information I had about Goyim, I was like, this is an advertisement for being goyish and killing people, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. that's what they're doing. This is their life. You know, like it was like, like your understanding of the outside world is so completely skewed. But right. Like you, you can't even
0: add it up. You have you not know, even add up the billboard. Right. I, even just watching movies itself. I remember when I first started watching, I remember literally the first movie I ever watched was Rush Hour. And I yeah, remember watching it. All of us. Everyone, I
1: got every single person our age. Every that was the one. (laughs) I am telling you, every single OTD person or anyone who was like on the fringe
0: in our generation rush out. Yeah, so I watched this movie. I, I, I understood every word they were saying, but I could not follow the story. One second, they're in New York, the next second, they're in Beijing and they're fighting and they're jumping out of wind. I couldn't, again, I understood the words. And it also didn't matter. That's the best part of it. It didn't matter. The story didn't matter. But if you've never seen a movie, if you don't grow up watching movies, you don't understand editing. You don't understand time changes and, and establishing a shot, you know, in New York. I could, I was, I was. Right. my jaw was on the floor. I was amazed, but I could well, not uh, understand what was going on. Because we didn't understand the language of cinema. That's what I right, was.
2: Exactly.
0: You ended up, becoming an actor. I wonder if as a kid, right. did you watch or listen to, we never watched it, but we listened to Yasserspiel, Al Nader's Bovel, these kind of yeah. plays, my, half my family, we could recite them Baupé, these yeah. plays. I know the Letztegedang Balpe." Yes. to this day. Yes. And
1: I know the whole Inquisitia thing of Yachtsel from Yasser Spiel. Like I don't know if I still remember it, but I,
0: I remembered it for a very long time. I have those uh, audio, uh, the MP3s of those, all yeah, those I plays on my computer. I love them. They're great. They're
1: fun. So, so I was going to say, I love this and i always wanted to be an actor. I've always wanted to be a performer, but I was terrible at it as a child. I remember like I was never given a roles in the plays or in the cantata or in the choirs, or anything like that, because I was, I was terrible at it. I realized now that the reason I was terrible at it is because I didn't believe I could do it. Nobody encouraged me. I had no Like I had no reason to believe that I could be good at it or that I would be good at it or that I should be good at it or that it's something you should aspire to be good at at all. Right. Uh, It's a thing that you need to study and practice, right. Yeah. It's just something that I knew I wanted to do, but I had no idea how and 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 of course the like the people around me didn't really like were kind of like suppressing it because they made me Davin and and Lennon the whole time right so like that was cuz like, it's it's a kind
0: of a, a, a trivial pursuit it's not something like why right. would you waste your time yeah. on this it's a bit, of teuter, mm-hmm. right so they would do they do a, a spiel once a year but it's not something you spend a ton of time on you just practice for an hour before the show and you go on and you make everybody laugh and you hang out. yeah yeah it's I mean, not, it's, 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 not a serious you No, know? yeah right it's not a very it's not an industry it's not a thing that you right. do yeah
1: yeah, I mean, it is a lot more now. Maybe not acting, but definitely music and singing. And now, like, I mean, you look around and like, I- I'm honestly amazed. And I I love it because, like, as just like you, I still listen to this music. Or right.
0: I would, I would, I would, we're gonna get to the music.
1: Yeah, almost every single day. You know, like I, this is this
0: is the music. This is my chicken soup. You know. It's interesting that you say that about music because to me, it's very, I fi- like you said, you call it chicken soup, I feel the same way. Some people, yeah. it triggers them, they can't hear it. Yeah, to know, me, it's the opposite. It calms me down. Yeah, It, just, it makes anyway, me happy, it calms me down, whatever, yeah. I was gonna say, like an interesting story is when I was uh, probably like
1: 16 years old and I was in Yeshiva in Hitchin, in uh, you know, about an hour outside of London. And I had these two friends who were, we were all like you know, thick as thieves. Uh, we would sneak out and we snuck out one night and we had to basically walk half an hour on a dirt road because the yeshiva was so remote. And we had to walk half an hour on a dirt road. And then we had to get to town, this tiny little village called Offley. And then from there, we had to either get a taxi or a bus to the larger town called Hitchin. Okay. And from there, we had to take a train to the town next to it, even larger town that had a cinema called Stevenage. Mm-hmm. So we went through all this, which would take us like an hour or two. We snuck out and we got in the theater. And of course, you know, we couldn't look up what was playing. It's not like we knew what what we were looking. You watch about.
0: whatever's playing, whatever's on. Whatever's playing, you know. So we show up and we look
1: at the posters, and there's this big poster. It says bandits, you know, and something about a bank robbery. And we're like sixteen-year-old Hasidic kids, like fuck yeah, this is it. This is what we want to see.
2: Yeah.
1: And we go in, and it's now I'm t- like, in, in hindsight, it was this movie with the with Bruce Willis, Billy Bob Thornton, and Kate Blanchett. Directed by Barry Levinson and it's shot a little bit like a documentary style like not what we would call documentary style now Found but footage? Not even. It's uh-huh. like it has some recreations of a fake documentary TV show like America's Most Wanted
2: mm-hmm.
1: so, Like it has these recreations of like things that like that at the time I was not able to comprehend Right, so we go to the movie we watch the movie and I walk out and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I kept thinking, it was like, oh my God, the guy with the camera was so lucky to be there during all these robberies,
2: you know, to get it
1: all on film.
2: That's so funny. You know? Yeah,
1: um, yeah. But, but the funniest thing about the story is, fast forward 10 years, okay, I'm 26. I'm in LA and I have a close friend here who is very good friends with Ronan Farrow. They're like the high school or college friends or they know each other very well. And she invited me as her plus one to Ronan Farrow's birthday party,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, yeah. this, like 10 years, almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I go to his birthday party, right? And I didn't know who Ronan Farrow was. I mean, I, I've been I, out for a couple of years at this point. Uh, nobody knew who he was 10 years ago. Right. Well, back then, the only, the only thing interesting about Ronan Farrow was that it was Mia Farrow's um, son.
2: son.
1: Yes. Yeah. Mia Farrow's son. That was the most right. interesting part about him. Right. I think he just got his, maybe he just got his MSNBC show or was like, I don't know, whatever. Anyway, I was at the party. Point is, I was at the party and I'm standing outside smoking a cigarette and it was at this uh, at this uh, speakeasy in LA called Dirty Laundry and they have this like smoking area outside in an alley. So I'm smoking there I, and I'm talking to this random dude, he's wearing like a long trench coat and he looks kind of like, you know, very like worn out, old school, like rock star Hollywood, but he's young. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking to him and like, of course, obviously at some point my background comes out because people notice my accent and this and that. So I end up telling him this story that I just told you, right? About, about seeing the movie. In
2: right.
1: the movie. And he is on the floor. He loves it. He's like, this is hilarious. This is fantastic. This is great. And he's like, you know, man, we should hang out. We should be friends. You're so cool. He gives me his number. He's like, you know, we'll hang out. He puts his name and phone number on my phone and texts himself from right, my phone. Right. And I forget about it. And later, I go home and I look at my phone and it says, Sam Levinson. And I'm like, interesting, Sam Levinson. So I look him up and it turns out that not only is his dad, Barry Levinson, the guy who directed Bandits, but he, Sam Levinson, has a cameo in the movie. Wow. He's actually in the movie. Wow. I texted him, I was like, what the fuck? Why didn't you tell I'm telling you the story and like, you're not it's even bothered. <laughs> like, I know all about this movie. And he's like, yeah, you know, I didn't want to interrupt the story and blah, blah, blah. But listen, me and my girlfriend are doing a dinner party. Why don't you come over? We'll have a dinner party. So this was at the same time that I had just booked Felix and Mira. Mm. So I had just gotten the job. Mm-hmm. I hadn't shot it yet. And I was preparing for the role. And I had to learn a lot of French. Right. But specifically, I had to learn Canadian French, Quebecois. Uh-huh. And I go to the dinner party. And guess who his girlfriend at the time is? Sarah Sutherland, Kiefer Sutherland's daughter. Wow. <laughs> From Quebec, yeah. you know. Guess who else is there? Ben Lear, Norman Lear's son. Oh, wow. So Hollywood all Hollywood royalty. Yeah, so I'm like, I'm like a, a month into l- moving to LA, and I'm having a dinner party at Kiefer Sutherland's house with Barry Levinson's son, Kiefer Sutherland's daughter, and Norman Lear's son, and I forgot who else was there, but someone else probably, like, not famous. So, Some the kind know. of Uches types. So I'm talking to them and I'm talking to Sarah and I'm telling her about this movie that I'm doing and I'm telling her about the French. And she's like, oh my, yeah, I'd love to help you if you need help with the Canadian French. And you know, I was, so I send her the lines and she record, I still have it to this day. She sent me the recordings of herself reading the lines in the French Quebec. So this is how how circular the story gets. You know, this is how fucking crazy this gets. You know, like from seeing the movie and not knowing it's fake, to meeting Sam Levinson, People. him yeah. introducing me to Sarah Sutherland, to then meeting Ben Lear, right? And then like fast forward many years later, you know, as some of you know, I think I mentioned it, I mean, nothing came of that show, but later, last year, Norman Lear ends up producing my pilot, you know, that I was working on with, with uh, Moshe Kasher and like uh, and Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady were gonna do a pilot and uh, Norman Lear was, was gonna produce it. Nothing came of it, obviously, well, I maybe mean, maybe something could still come of it. I don't know. As far as I know, the project is dead. But... Moshe Kasher comes... is one of my
0: favorites. Yeah, he's,
1: he's, he's fantastic. I mean, I worked with him for months and months on writing this show. And, uh, you know, sometimes things don't work out. So, anyway. Most times, yeah. I
2: think.
1: Well, most of the times, yeah. But that's that's coming full circle from the movie theater in Stevenage. Yeah, That's
0: really good. Moshe Kasher's book, I listened to, uh, the audio book of, you Definitely. know, his... Casher in the Rye. It's, I loved it. It's great. He's He's got great. he's got a hell of a story. I know. And it's he's funny. a hilarious
1: comedian. I know, but you know what's funny about that is like, he went through all that stuff, you know, like all that experimental shit and figuring stuff out as like a teenager.
0: A, a, a kid. He was in or, rehab like 14 or something. Before he was even 16. He's and I'm like, oh, I'm 35. I'm still doing dumb shit. Right, we're still figuring he's it out. Up. He's a fucking father, you know. I'm, I'm happy That you know, he's he went well for him. He's a great. He sounds like a a a great guy. The the truth is, he really is a very decent man and
1: very, very, very funny.
0: Yeah, I had I had tickets for him, him and his wife. The what is it? Endless honeymoon. Yeah, Natasha. Tour right. They they were going on tour. I had tickets, and then uh, COVID hit. So now, so that was the end of that. I haven't. I didn't get to see them. But anyways, but speaking of Felix Mira. One, yeah. of the, one of the of ins- early inspirations for me to do a podcast was when the you had the premiere for that movie. Yeah. I believe it was the premiere or one of the openings somewhere in Canada. Yeah. And we drove up together. True, we did. And just that drive, we were schmoozing, and I kept thinking, man, I wish there was a, a microphone here. It was so, you know, we were talking about music and this and that yeah. and whatever. So that always like it. And then actually... Later on, I did once meet you. It was an early idea, an earlier version of what, what I was, I was thinking of doing a podcast, but it never ended up happening. You're, you were always in the back of my mind, you know, you were one of the inspirations as a guest. Yeah. But it
1: was a good, good, good time, it was a good time. We, rent, we rented a Suburban. Oh, that's what happened, we rented a Suburban because <laughs> it was very snowy and yes. I didn't want to drive. And I was like, he's in the military, We'll get a Suburban, he'll know how to drive. He's in the military, he knows everything. Hey kid, hey, you know? okay, he got this. Yeah, <laughs> so we rented a Suburban, but I think was, I didn't even know that some Suburbans are not all-wheel drive, they're not four-wheel drive. The cheap ones, course, right. Yeah, the cheap ones you get from Amazon. The NFL rentals, rides.
2: right, so, yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm like, I'm feeling all this confident, we're feeling all this confident driving in the big fucking truck down the road, and of course we got
0: stuck, remember? We got stuck in Montreal. I don't even remember, no. And we got stuck like, for a bit,
1: you know. Yeah, you
0: know, I, I, what I do remember is at night it like drops down to who knows what below zero, and you're walking around in in yes. like slippers, and we're both freezing our us off. We we were not prepared for how cold it was, but we're just going out from one club, or, you know, one one. We're going to dinner here and drinks over there, and and we're fr- It was literally it was like fifteen below zero, but yeah. it was fun. It was a good time. It was a lot of fun. Fine, you
1: know, like I. It's one of those things where you like you look back and you go like God, we were so free. We were doing so much dumb shit. It wasn't like anything dangerous, but like we were just doing things, you know. Right. And, like, and now like there's there's the you know the COVID obviously is that, but also like you know we're getting older. And I'm like I try I try to stay that way, which you know it's got its ups, it's got its, it's got its upsides, it's got its downsides. You know, downsides obviously is that you know you're 35 and single, and uh, you know the upsides is you're 35 and single. Um, <laughs>
0: But, uh, yeah, I mean... I'll always remember from that trip was you introduced me to Oasis, who I'd never heard of before, <laughs> the band, or I the, these two brothers or whatever. I, I didn't know about them. And so, if we, you know, we could talk about music. I listen to a little of everything, but my, like you said, chicken soup, my comfort, my, my what's my happy place, that's the word. My happy place, if I need to just relax and not think and whatever, I'm putting on Mordecai David. I'm putting on Avram Freed. I'm putting on, you know, something like that. Oh, to me, it's always going to be Yami Adaman. Yami Adaman, absolutely, yes. Uh, Yeah, like that that stuff, I'm
1: like, when in doubt, that will work. Speaking of Oasis, Oasis is like one of those bands, you know, it's so weird because to us, a song, in order for it to be good, it has to be like really stirring. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the thing with what this music does to you is like it stirs you up. And the Goyesha music, a lot of it is not meant to do that. Goyesha music is meant to do that. It's by design. That's what it's supposed to be doing. Right. Especially the, the, the slower songs, you know. Not, I'm not talking about the, the, the dance. But Goyesha music, is like, is a much broader spectrum of emotions that it can evoke. Right. You know, because it's, it's not it's, so narrow-minded.
0: It's a different style. It's, it's used,
1: so to speak, in a different way. Well, not only that, but also, like, there's Goyesha music for church that does sure. the, that to right. you what I'm saying is that, that the spectrum of emotions of what a song can evoke in you is just much broader because the audience is broader and people are broader and the, the, the utility of the song is right. of a song is broader. But speaking of that is like Oasis is really good at like really stirring songs. Mm-hmm. Like they can do these, like just big emotions, you know, like really big emotion in their songs. You know, who introduced me to Oasis. Duncan really? Quinn introduced me to Oasis. Yeah,
0: yeah, my old boss.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, Duncan Quinn. That was an interesting period too. The 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 you was, know, yeah. think Yiddish, dress British, right? Yeah. That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, that was an interesting chapter in my life. I'm still I'm still close
1: to him. I uh, I still think of like there's like there's like a handful of people that I I think at this point in my life have had probably the biggest impact on me. You know, like changed me or like taught me the most. And like Duncan Quinn is like. No question, one of them. Yeah. Like there's before Duncan Quinn and there's after Duncan. (laughs) Before Duncan Quinn, you know, there was like all this like, where do I belong? What do I do? Who am
0: I? And then like So tell me about that. What how did that how did that come about? Tell me tell me the story with Donkey Quinn. So after I left, so you when you met me, so after I left and I decided
1: like I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna become an actor, like my idea was so embarrassing now to talk about it in that way, but you know, whatever. Um, Listen, everybody's
0: got their star, everybody
1: has to start somewhere. I know, but like it was, uh, I, my idea was that I was seeing all these movies with Hasidim in it, fake Hasidim, and they were all so inaccurate and so wrong and everything was so wrong and I was like, you know what, I wanna be an actor, this is gonna be my in, okay? I'm gonna leave the community, I'm gonna keep the bud and pious.
0: Right. So I can get acting jobs. Right, I remember, right, when, they, when I saw you, they I heard like oh that's he's an actor and this is his thing yeah this is a stick yeah yeah you
1: know so
0: like i'm gonna do that this is his angle right and that's how
1: i'm gonna break in and that's how i'm gonna quote unquote make it Mm -hmm. that was my idea and so that's why i kept my 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 beard and and my wooden pious after after i left because like that was my that became my even though like for the first like couple of years I almost got no jobs in that. I was an extra on The Good Wife. And I remember I, I thought it was like the biggest deal of my life because I appear on screen actually. Right. Like I'm actually on screen like for several seconds in several scenes. I'm like, you can see me. Like if you watch The Good Wife season one. <laughs> if you one, pause it just right. Right, exactly. Like season one, I think it's episode eight or nine. Funny enough, the episode is called Unorthodox.
0: Oh, that's funny. Yeah, that is funny.
1: That was a huge celebration. That was like my big get. I think I made like five hundred dollars on that show because it was so much overtime. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I never really got any uh, real work. I would get like extra work, like a short film here, a short film there. So I, I ended up after leaving. I was my my family is close to uh, Herschel Schreiber, the owner of B and H. Mm. So he ended up trying to help me. I ended up listen. I was living in a tent. Okay, in a in a, in, a, in like a in like a loft warehouse kind of situation in Bushwick. Mm.
0: I mean, the situation was pretty dire. But you were determined, okay, uh, clearly. You were oh, determined yeah, I mean, to make it as an actor. This is going to be your thing. Oh, absolutely.
1: I was, like, I mean, you, you can call it determined. I think at the time, like, in retrospect, completely delusional. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's what it takes to, in, in this field. It was, you know, it was total delusion. I um, mean, you know, I was at, at my wits end. I was, uh, you remember Joe D'Angelo's Chorna de Bruche? Sure, of course. It was Rosh and I was living in that tent. And I was in bad shape, yeah, I was in bad shape. And he was like, listen, it's Rosh Hashanah, let's forget that it's Rosh Hashanah, let's go out, I'm gonna get you fucked up. (laughs) Now, for people who don't know Joey D'Angelo, Google him, not the Golden State Killer, our Joey yeah And look at his photos and
0: you conclude on your own how much you think me and Joey D'Angelo have in common. You're gonna see a guy who looks like a a metalhead. That's, if you see that picture, that's the right guy. Exactly, and I was, I still am nothing remotely close. Not that guy.
1: (laughs) But he was determined to get me fucked up. So he takes me to this biker bar. Biker bar, yeah. With his girlfriend at the time, Izzy. And of course, you have to understand, like, when we leave, like, we also, not only do we know nothing about nothing, we also know nothing about drinking. Of course. (laughs) So here I am, a 23-year-old kid, who doesn't know how to drink and doesn't know what to drink and what not to drink and what to mix and what not to mix.
2: Right. It seems
1: and, and Joey D'Angelo and his girlfriend aren't gonna be the one to tell me. Right. You know? So I am, we're bar hopping. We're going from one place where I don't belong to another place where I don't belong. And in every place we're going to, I'm obviously the star of the show because here is this like Hasidic looking guy swearing like a sailor, not because. Drunk in civil libert. Right. <laughs> Like I was the entertainment everywhere because like I, so, I was so sticking out and I was so loud and obnoxious <laughs> and like so desperately trying to fit in that it was actually entertaining to them. Of course. You no. Know? Right. So at some point I, I just pass out and start throwing up. And Izzy and uh, Joey basically agreed to take me to the subway station. Mm-hmm. They, take me, they dump me on the L train. I take the L train. I throw up on the train and then I stumble, you know, quote unquote, home to my tent. Mm -hmm. And I get in my tent, and my tent had like a a piece of carpet on the bottom so it'd be softer to sleep on Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and a sleeping bag. Of course, I fall asleep and I wake up, and the entire tent is full of vomit. How do you even fucking clean that? So, pretty fucking low. (laughs) Yeah. and also kind of hilarious, you know, like Joey the next day is like loser. Listen, if like like you're not a real New Yorker, not a real secular New Yorker until you've thrown up on the subway. Yeah. So as terrible as last night was, now you're going. You know, kind okay, of like like <laughs> now you know what it's like to be a New York teenager or whatever, like young kid, you know,
0: doing his thing. You've arrived, yeah. You're you've one arrived. yeah.
1: But it was also like, you know, it was pretty bad, you know. So like out of the blue, Herr Schreiber, the owner of v calls me one day at like, I don't know, like seven o'clock in the morning. And we used to be close. And then we had a falling out. Obviously, he tried to, you know, try to rescue me and try to get me not to leave several times. And I actually, I don't think I've ever spoken about this publicly, but whatever. It's, you know, it's just for us. It's just you and me. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so he, we had a falling out over that because he put so much money and resources into trying to help me. And I obviously like, you know, you can't fix crazy. And by the time, at that point, I think I was a year out after I left or something like that. And he was having second thoughts. He was hearing from my siblings, from other people that like, you know, I was in in bad shape. Mm -hmm. You know, that I was living, that was was basically homeless. So he calls me up and he says, listen, I want to help you. No strings attached. I promise you no strings attached. And I want to give you an apartment and a job. Mm -hmm. That's all. I want to give you an apartment and a job and food. That's all I want to give you. I don't want nothing from you. Okay. And then, of course, he says, "All I'm asking <laughs> no. all I'm asking is that the apartment should be close to Barpak. You have to put Mrs on. Mm-hmm. And y- you have to keep uh, separate dishes, dishes. OK So it has to be kosher kitchen. Well, mezizis... has to be kosher kitchen. He didn't say I have to eat kosher. He told me I have to keep two sets of dishes. Set, okay. you know. And of course you'll pay for everything." I said, "You sure? Absolutely. And I said, done deal, deal. He became, I had no credit. I mean, my credit was shot. He became the guarantor. He signed a lease. He gave me like several thousand dollars to go to Ikea and buy furniture. That's really nice and, of him. Yes, and he bought me the Mazizas. He sent mm-hmm. someone to install it. Mm-hmm. And that was that. You know, he, was, he basically asked me to come by in the morning to answer phone calls because like he's very busy. He gets lots of Tuduki calls and everything. And he wants his mornings, but he also, he wants someone to uh, be able to take the Tzvek, you know, that calls for- The tzwek, schnoros,
0: the collectors.
1: Yeah. So I would, he would sit there and have his, you know, his same breakfast every day, uh, you know, tuna fish and, and yesterday's bread because he's, he's notoriously frugal. Really? Uh, okay. I just want to say like, like, because I'm saying these things and I've never said them publicly- and you know, and I'm talking about someone else's private things. I I want to say that I have like zero ill will towards the person. I I think he meant well, and he was doing the right things, and he's a good person. As anybody in the community knows, he does like a tremendous amount of good for mm-hmm. people. We can disagree on religion. We can disagree that he doesn't maybe give to Goyim or whatever any of that kind of bullshit. Right. Whatever. Everybody the has is, their causes. Yeah. Fact. Yeah, uh-huh. Truth is that like he helps incredibly charitable person. He helps a ton of people, and he's obviously also like unimaginably wealthy. Right, right.
0: Well, B&H, for those who don't know, it's it's the famous yeah. B&H photo in Manhattan and an online, whatever. They, they you right. know, it's a huge business.
1: It's a huge, massive, massive business, but he also, like, he bought real estate in Williamsburg and Bushwick and the waterfront, you know, 20, 30 years ago, back when it was worthless. So, like, it's not just B&H, it's a right. massive empire involved um, outside of that. He's incredibly wealthy. So, and so, I would sit there with him and I would take the calls and take the messages and, you know, it would be a very important people, you know, call a guy like that. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I to take messages from them. Like, I don't want to say names, obviously, but Big, yeah. Big Rabunem and Big Machus and, you know, and- uh, so you That's know, great, so he helped you out. So he helped me out, and then he gave me a job at B&H. So I worked at B&H, and I continuously kept pushing that idea of, like, no strings attached, right? Like, really- Testing Ash? the limits? Yeah, I was testing them with no strings attached. Right. Uh, I, so I was working at BNH, and I would order Domino's pizza with bacon on it in the lunchroom, <laughs> and everybody order McDonald's. I would flirt with the you know with my coworkers, the girls, the women. Right, right. I was trying to do my own thing, but customers loved me, right? Because I was the cool Jew, right? Yeah. One of the most craziest things, actually, is I was working at BNH, and one of the stars of The Good Wife came in, came in. And we became friends, and we're still friends to this day. That's great. You know? I'm not going to say who it is, but he used to date Ariana Grande. And- <laughs> and Google it, and it's not that hard to figure out. Yeah. But anyway, but we became friends at b after meeting on the set of The Good Wife. The Good Wife. Wow. You
0: know? So it was, it was, it was funny. It was, uh- B&H so- is always fun. Like For the little while I was working in Manhattan, not far actually from there, and I would go there sometimes to get something or whatever. It's it's like Santa's workshop. They have all the machinery, like stuff. The new what's it called? The the conveyor, the conveyor belt, belt on the yeah. roof. And there's exactly. it's I don't. It, it was wild. It's wild. And and, and actually not conveyor belts. belts. They're actually
1: they're actually not belts. They're like track. They're like these little little rolls. slats. Yeah. That's, yeah. Right. Uh,
0: it's it's wild. It's interesting.
1: Perfect. It's funny because like I thought like I I talk about V and H. And like, I always make this argument. I mean, there's a lot of criticism to, you know, a lot at BNA. There's no question about it, but there's so much that that company does right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: There's so much that that company gets right about capitalism in a way
2: mm-hmm.
1: that I wish America was more like that. This is really the story of like, yes. His family had money. Yes, his family has been in the camera business for generations, not generations because they came after the war, but like, yes, he had a a leg up on some level, but not really. He really built it from the ground up and always paid his employees really well, always gave them good benefits, always made sure that the customers were getting good service. After all, B&H is one of the only places, one of the only large stores you could go in where like everybody who works in that department like, knows their shit.
0: Right. They're experts so, in that field, in exactly that little because, corner.
1: Because it's one of the very few places where working retail
0: in a specific thing is a career, not a quote-unquote job. Right. Like, it's not like the average Joe who works at Best Buy, and he's interchangeable exactly. with anyone else. Right.
1: Exactly. And these are people who really know their shit. So they did that really well by having really high employee retention, by paying them really well. And I'm sure they do
0: training, right?
1: Well, the, in the beginning, I don't think, I mean, the training is fine. You know, I took the training. The training is okay. I don't
0: think- No, it's, but they, I mean, like, in your field, let's say you're, you're the audio, you work in the audio department, you have to stay up to date and you have to learn about the yes. new machinery and well, whatever. not only that, not only that, a
1: lot of the people, a lot of the, uh, the people who work in audio, the people who work in video, they're videographers, right. you know? They are they professionals. Are, they are professionals. They really, really know their shit. They know their shit so well that, like, an expert can go in there and talk about the megahertz and the gigahertz and all that, and all the like little things. And someone who's a complete novice can come in and explain exactly what they need for what purpose, and he would know exactly what they need. What and there's that, no yeah. upselling because there's no upselling because there's no commissions. They don't pay commissions to the salespeople. So there's no upselling, no commissions, none of that stuff. You just get really good advice. And the other part of that, in terms of like you know praising B and H, is they never try to grow. Too fast. Mm. They always grew within their means. So instead of like what you see in a lot of American businesses, like an Uber or like any other like chain or whatever, as soon as it picks up, you know they franchise and they start gobbling up and they just take on debt and they like just they create this incredible, this crazy American monster that we have now,
0: right? right. This crazy like too, you're too big to handle yourself.
1: You're too big to hang yourself. You become this like capitalist monstrosity that like can't survive without paying starvation wages because you just have way too much overhead. It's basically you know, a big
0: bubble. It's a big bubble.
1: It's a big bubble, you know, and you can't survive without taking on too much debt and then you go public and then all you care about is like the people who invested in you and like the whole thing just falls apart. Yeah, yeah. So b and never did that. You know, they became super, super successful by staying good at what they're doing and you know, expanding within their means. I mean, there's an argument to be made that they should have expanded. And I think that probably the fact that they are Hasidim, you know, and like, like part of why they're successful is the family feeling of the whole thing. And if they expand, you know, they might lose that B and H will no longer be B and H and this and that. So I get that part of it. What I'm saying is like any other person in that position would just expand and expand and expand and they didn't do that. And that's a good thing. And if more people did that, then we would have a real middle class. Then we would have a real America. And that's what it used to be before the big companies just gobbled everything up. And now we have what we have. But that is completely a different topic.
0: <laughs> and now we know losers' philosophy on business. Well, which... some of it. Some of it. Right, but 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 no, I I mean not that I'm an expert myself, but I would agree with uh, what you're saying. Not I don't know B and H, but in general, you you know, don't spread yourself too thin, don't move faster than you can don't be so greedy. Exactly. Don't be so greedy. That's yes. what it is. Don't be so greedy. Yeah. Well, if only. So tell me so okay, so you're working at B and H, you're living near Borough Park. What happens then? How did you, how, how, now you live in LA. You're, you're an actor. This is your, your life. So how did we get from there to here? So what happened then is basically I was miserable at b as you can imagine. I was
1: miserable. I was, you know, I was making, you know, a good living. I had an apartment, you know, I was uh, a girlfriend and uh, I was miserable and I became more and more depressed. I became a worse and worse employee because I knew that I, I could get away with shit. I would show up whenever I wanted and come and go as I please. I was having a mental. I was having a mental, a serious mental breakdown by the end of it, and I just ended up leaving. I just stopped showing up. I, I don't think I was ever officially terminated, actually,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, that was that. Then I uh, had to figure out how to uh, pay my rent because, now, right? Because what ended up happening is like he was paying my rent at the beginning, but once I got a job at BNA, he was like, "Now you have a job and you have a good job, so you can pay your own rent." Like, of course. The fallacy in that argument is that if you asked me to choose an apartment based You're on my
0: pay, it. pay,
1: based on my ability to pay this is not the apartment I would have chosen. Right. I chose the apartment because of your ability to pay for it. Yeah. And now I have to pay for an apartment of your standards on my salary. Right. The math doesn't add up anymore. Exactly. Right. So it wasn't adding up even while I was at mm mm-hmm. Mhm. You know, I was saying I was paying like $1,200 for like a really large one bedroom with like a living room and a kitchen and a bathtub. And, you know, it was a very nice place, nice building, you know, safe building. It was no, it was expensive. And after I left b and you know, obviously I had no money. I had nothing. And uh, I don't remember at which point, but it came to me. I got an email from Dean saying that a friend of his has a photo shoot for a men's fashion company and they are looking for a Hasidic Jew and they're paying, I think it was like $200, or mm-hmm.
2: uh,
1: which was a fortune for me at the time, sure. because I was broke. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if Haszal Shaiba was paying my rent at that time or he was not. I don't think he was. I'm pretty sure I was, I think I was behind several months and I was getting evicted and something and you know, and he didn't come. All of a sudden, all the strings became reattached.
0: Right. It's like God. He loves you unconditionally yeah. with conditions. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I ended up. The argument ended up happening. I think it was during the during the Weberman trial. I think that was about the same time during the Weberman trial or something. And I was posting a lot about that, and I was putting a lot of negative shit on, on Hasidim, You mm-hmm. know, like
0: earned negative stuff. You know, sure, like right. stuff, true stuff. stuff. Yeah, the Weberman trial was right when I showed up on the scene because I, I was freshly out of the army when that first blew up. Okay, so maybe it was later then. So maybe it was later. It must have been later then. A little so
2: later. Anyway,
1: okay. So. I was posting bad stuff always about Hasidim and I was still doing interviews and I was still doing, you know, because I again I was I'm trying to become an actor, right? So like, you know, doing interviews and being out there and making yourself known and make, making yourself Googleable is like it's right. part of the game. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm not like this, uh, trying to like trash the Hasidic community. You know, I'm trying to like sell my story and sell my talent and be out oh, there. Yeah, Visible, someone, yeah, yeah, someone notice. And he really didn't like that. Mm. So he called me into his office at one point and he basically told me to stop with the twatter.
2: <laughs>
1: he didn't know how to pronounce Twitter. Stop the twatting,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> stop with the twatter, he said with the twatter and the Facebook and the twatter. And I basically told him point blank, I was like, listen, I didn't go through everything I just went through for the last three years. To be imprisoned again, yeah. Yeah, like that's not, that wasn't like, if I, if I wanted to like not be able to speak my mind, I would have just stayed where I was.
2: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: you know, what's the point in living in America? if You know, if like, if, I, I'm gonna if I'm speed. not going to have free speech. I'm not going to utilize it, right. Yeah, I'm not going to utilize it. Like, what's the point? Right. And he said, well, it's either that or lose my number. And I said, I'll lose your number. It was literally, that was the conversation. He said, lose my number. And I said, I'll lose your number. I'll never call you again. Never called him again. Never spoke to him again. Yeah. And that is like one of those points where I was like, fuck. Now I am <laughs> really fucked. Yeah, really on my own. <laughs> not only that, because now it's even worse because I've like slightly built myself up. You know, now I have a television, I have furniture, I have a place, you know, I have, you know, I have standards to maintain. I I know the feeling, you know, I thought maybe I could have made it. I could have like, I could have, I was, I was getting, I was going
0: somewhere, going somewhere, right.
1: No. And it was just all like, now I like, no one is going to help me out. I'm completely on my own. And I'm realizing that like, I haven't really gained any more skills in the past couple of years since I left. It's not like I used the first few years of difficulty to teach myself something that will get me a job later on. You know, I'm right. still pretty yes. much fucking useless, you know. BNA, <laughs> uh, you know, does not prepare you for living in a corporate world at all. Right. So I get this email from, from Shulem telling me about this friend of his or someone reached out to him looking for a model. So I said, sure, I'll do it, 200 bucks. That ended up being for Duncan Quinn. So, so Duncan being,
0: Quinn, for those of us who, who, who aren't in the know, tell what is that what... So Duncan Quinn is a is both a person
1: and a brand. Duncan Quinn is the... I never know how to pronounce that word. Eponymous? Ep,
0: ep, Eponymous?
1: Eponymous? Is that how you pronounce it?
0: I, I know I've heard the word, but I'm not even 100% sure I know what it means, but I know I've heard the word. Okay, we'll get comments on this. It's the name of the thing, of the yeah. whatever we're talking about. The person. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, okay. Like, Tom Ford's brand is called Tom Ford and like Louis like Louis Vuitton is like, not. A, maybe it's a... I brand. think it's
0: about, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Anyway. So don't make me say it again because I'll get it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yes. So, Duncan Quinn is a men's, a, men's, a men's fashion designer who designs like super high-end custom men's clothing for people to whom... a dollars. Yeah, to people who to whom a ten thousand
0: dollars suit feels the same as to you a hundred dollars suit.
2: Right.
0: So. So it's literally custom made, or it's like off, no it's, off the it's, shelf and customized, or what? No, it's like from scratch. It's from truly scratch. bespoke. What oh. call bespoke. Yeah. Right. Right.
1: Okay. So like it's a very like even even the stuff that you come in and you can buy off the shelf is very limited. It's very limited that they're made by all made by hand, like in England or in Italy or in New York City. It's like they're very like. High quality materials, high quality workmanship, high quality fit, you know. And like it's the best, tailored best.
0: to you is, yeah.
1: yeah. Okay. Like the best of the best. Right, right. Oh, and here I am, you know, modeling for his clothes because he had an idea of doing a campaign called Think Yiddish, Dress British, which is based on something Lou Wasserman. Lou Wasserman was one of the first mega agents in Hollywood.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know? I don't know what his high mission name was. Wasserman. Like, Leibisch Wassermann probably. Right, you know? yeah. <laughs> So Lou Wasserman was one of the big agents, and he would always tell his clients, uh, his actor clients, basically think Yiddish, dress British, which means like think like a Jew but dress like a Goy. Right. Like
0: he was still telling that they're, they're being schlumpers, you know, like you know. It's a it's I, a famous saying because it's also been yeah. used. Like uh, I've heard, think Yiddish, vote. Uh, there's it's been used. It's been used and reused. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like it's one of
1: those things. So he yeah. that was the campaign. The idea was to have. Me on one side in a hit and reckle And on the other photo, I would be dressed in Duncan Quinn, to, So you can tell what a difference, in you the, know, yeah, yeah, those yeah. make. And so I ended up at the photo shoot. we were shooting and we're talking and like, and he like, you know, he developed a liking to me. He thought I was interesting. He thought I was smart. And he figured out what my situation was. He's like, well, why do not you come work for me? Mm-hmm. You know, up to that point, I knew zilch about fashion, like absolute zilch. Mm-hmm. To me, jeans were jeans, and a T-shirt was a T-shirt, and shoes were shoes. Like, like and it's clothes. and and that's it. Exactly. Like clothes to me were like very utilitarian. You know, so like the only reason I would want it, I would want jeans and a T-shirt or like a hoodie, is because that's what everybody wear, and that's utilitarian in order to like feel comfortable. Not to situation. be naked. Yeah. Exactly. You know. So I knew nothing, and I do not. I didn't know who he was, and I didn't know how big of a deal it was that he, that someone like him was offering me a job. I was like, sure, why the fuck not? You know, and sure. so was like, all oh, see you on Monday, right? You know, and that's it. And I showed up on Monday, and uh, he basically broke me in <laughs> like he, I was just getting him coffee, washing the, the store, cleaning the toilets. Um, you were an
0: intern, at least at first.
1: I was basically an intern, I was, you know, I was not getting paid a lot of money, you know, and you know, and he basically gave me clothes, he dressed me up, he taught me. Point is, I, I ended up being there for like, I think, four or five years, I think, no?
0: Really? Wow. I just knew, I just remembered, every time there was some kind of event, you would show up looking like a million dollars. You had a yeah. suit, ASD. Within a year, within a year, I was more or less running the show over there.
2: Mm.
1: So I came in knowing absolutely nothing. And within a year, I was basically, I was running the show. I was like going out, like with the clients. I was like, these clients, they would come into town and they would like not just want to get a suit, they would need a whole donkey coin because we knew everyone in town, like Duncan knew everyone. Right. Like if he wanted to get into a club I wanted to get into a concert, I wanted game tickets or something, like we were there. Like concierge. concierge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, one of the perks of that is that you get to tag along sometimes, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And a lot of these things were pretty fucking wild. Yeah. So I went from like, you know, who said not knowing jack shit about anything to having to learn how to have a conversation with a billionaire who has a 4.0 GPA and graduated from Harvard, who could literally tackle absolutely any, I mean, also a douche, but he can also what ta- mm-hmm. you know. Right, but you gotta learn how to
0: wine and dine. And,
1: and, right. right, and, and I, I think that's what Duncan maybe saw in me. He knew that I could fake my way through almost any conversation. Yeah. And that's why he felt comfortable. I was a loose can, I got him into a lot of trouble too. because I'm. <laughs> this, this, because, like, part of the problem is, you know, part of why he liked me is because I had a big mouth. Part of my problem is I have a big mouth. Right. So, like, I didn't You, were, know, you weren't house trained yet. Exactly. You know, still <laughs> I'm not. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this day. I think those years taught me how to, like, you know, control it. But only if I have to. If I don't feel like I have to. Like, if it's not dependent on a sale. Right. Yes. You know, ruining, if it's not dependent on ruining someone else's reputation, like, why would I be careful? My own reputation or oh, that? I don't care. Yeah. You know? yeah, But it taught me like, you know, that kind of responsibility and like, you know, professionalism. But like, I didn't know when not to tell a Jew joke. Mm-hmm. No. <laughs>
2: Even
1: right. though it was hilarious to me and Duncan, you know, it was like less hilarious to the... To the customer, the client. Well, the, the Jew from the Upper East Side. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? That's very true. I, I've i noticed that years ago. I bought a motorcycle. It's his own long story. That was one of my early middle fingers you know what I mean I needed a second vehicle to go to work or whatever my because my wife was driving and I needed a car I didn't want to buy a second car it was too expensive okay I'll buy a motorcycle Mm -hmm. it's cheaper on gas or whatever and I thought it would be the funniest thing in the world to call myself it was me and some other random couple of friends or something or whatever I I said we're going to call ourselves kikes on bikes (laughs) (laughs) right I love it we laughed at it but when some guy who's has, you know, his family, he and his family hasn't been religious in 14 generations, heard that. They were so insulted. They couldn't believe we would say There's such a thing. There's a certain type
1: of Jew who's really offended by this kind of stuff. And I, I know who they are now, like, it took me a while to figure out who they are. And they are the ones who call people like us self-hating Jews. You know, they call people like me and you and Seth Rogen and Mark Maron, oh, self-hating yeah, yeah. Jews. And like, listen, I, I get it, I, I, you know, we both know where they come from because like we know people like that so like yeah. I don't judge them I you I, I know at this point I know who the people who don't like Jew jokes
0: are yeah um, it's funny you mentioned Marin and uh, Seth Rogen because obviously recently they had that conversation and they brought yeah. up Israel and as I'm listening to it I'm like oh my god the emails they're gonna get oh, yeah I thought, yeah I thought it was stupid I thought it was like you know, I was surprised I, that they went there you know what I mean? Because he's Seth Rogen is a big Hollywood star. You would. No, but uh, I, I think what
1: bothered me about the conversation was a. It was it was not that interesting and it was not that funny. It was kind of hacky and lazy. But oh god, I'm saying this about them. I'm, I'm I'm saying like again like this conversation is also hacky and lazy at some points. So and nobody was they weren't performing. They were talking, right? They were schmoozing, right? Right. They were schmoozing. What I'm saying about like the reason why I got this kind of like the whole uh, reaction got about it is because it, because it wasn't really that funny and it wasn't it wasn't that interesting. But like, it wasn't like offensive, you know, it was, I think what I could see bothering about that People thing about it, yes. is that they didn't even attach any kind of like seriousness to it. I think when you do that kind of stuff, you know, like when you talk about these kind of things and you joke about it, you do have to acknowledge the seriousness of the issue, right? The seriousness <laughs> of anti-Semitism and the seriousness of the Holocaust and you know, like you have to like acknowledge that and on, on some level. And I think it's like it's just like the the breeziness of that mm-hmm. whole interview, you know, and how this was all like kind of like thrown in there, like this kind of like casual yeah. But that
0: that explains why you and I, 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 we have a more we're much more comfortable making a Jew joke, whereas yeah. somebody who's from the Upper West Side and didn't grow up religious, and to them their threshold is much lower for offense because they're not as steeped in it and they're not as desensitized. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And I think we also, like, it's also what makes us be less tribal, I guess, later. And mm-hmm. like, even now, like, with everything that's happening in politics, like, in, in the world. Right. Like, I still feel that I am better equipped to separate fact from fiction. Yeah. Because I really know bullshit. You know, I know bullshit. You know, I'm comfortable with the idea of telling my own people and my own group. You're following of guys, like that thing, that's bullshit. Like I agree with you on everything else, I get it.
0: Bl- yeah, but that thing, that is bullshit. Right, yeah. I, I think that's right. It's like, it's, it's like a muscle that you build. Once you've been burned right. once, twice, 10 times, you learn your bullshit sensor, or your bullshit meter is always on and watching for you know, potential bullshit.
1: Well, and I also, I think that having been wrong for so long yeah. and then finding out that you were wrong it makes
2: you
0: more open to the possibility that you could be wrong again. Yes, I always have that in the back of my mind. I always, not, I, I don't have to remind myself, but it's always on my mind that you were so certain 20 years ago, you were so absolutely certain yeah. about all these things that turns out is a bunch of crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Always be a little skeptical.
1: Yeah, it, it puts us, you know. I don't want to name any names, but I think it, I, not me less because I'm not I'm I'm not that vocal about it, like publicly, you know. Maybe now people are gonna make it. Maybe so, nobody cares what I say anyway. But like, if someone does, maybe they're gonna make a stink about it. You know, it, it puts me in a, like in a, in a politically difficult position. Mm-hmm. You know, where like, do I have to hate everything about Bill Maher because of what he says about Muslims now? Like everything I hate about him. Do I like? I never watched Harry Potter. You know, right. I have zero interest in JK Rowling you know i have like i don't care you know but like do i have to hate everything about her because like sh- she has some questions that she doesn't understand yet
0: it's very interesting that you bring up specifically these two names because I, no, also... I also
1: like even like, you know where where it gets even weirder for me where it gets even more complicated for me is sam harris Yes. Oh, yes. So like, like This is a figure who changed, I think, my life and your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like our entire OTD generation's life in it's some huge form influence. or not, Huge influence. And I'm like, I don't have to agree with him on everything. Like I never did. Right. You know?
0: I have these thoughts too, because I was reading Sam Harris before his Hasidim had the people who love him now, ever heard of him, right? Right. He yeah. was blowing my mind long before these people ever... Had he an some, he still, and, and he still does, of course. Yeah. But like you were saying, Bill Maher or J.K. Rowling, I approach all these people or anybody with a skepticism and I try to filter out what seems real, what's bullshit. Sometimes I have to go and do my own research. But I find a lot of it, really, honestly, it seems to me, is I hear a lot of, for um, lack of a better term, right-wingers kvetching about, left-wingers kvetching. Yeah. I don't know who these people are. I don't know who they are that everybody's complaining about, but I hear a lot of complaining about complaining. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's mostly taking place on Twitter.
0: Right. Which, as we all know, Twitter's not real life. But well, um, it's noisy. Yeah.
2: yeah. And yeah.
0: it gets people talking. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to make sense of this. How much is real? How much is just people kvetching? How, you know, I don't know. What's funny to me is that Again, this hasn't happened to
1: me, but I know some people it has happened to, like people who got canceled for supporting the wrong person or something like that. You know, it hasn't happened to me. But like, I look at it and like, okay, so if I like Sam Harris, then I'm basically Ben Shapiro. Even though I agree with Sam Harris on 90% of things and disagree with him on 10% of things and disagree with Ben Shapiro on like 99.99% of things, (laughs) maybe with him on you know, like... A thing or two. One word and one sentence of a paragraph that he once wrote. Like, literally. Like, somehow, even the fact that I disagree with him, like, almost 100%, I am somehow him because I agree with Sam Harris on one thing. Again, like, what I'm saying is, like, it hasn't happened to me because we were talking about, like, our ability to filter out truth from fiction. And I think that our background, you know, ends up putting us in a position where, like like politically, you, you're not making anyone happy.
0: Right, we don't have a home.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Growing up, and especially for a number of years, it was part of why I joined the army. I was politically, I was very right wing, I was very conservative, yeah. and joining the army I to was, mean, I went. I went to the Hannity Freedom Concert. I listen to Hannity, you know, three hours a day, you know what I mean? I have have pictures of
1: myself at the Hannity Freedom Concert.
0: That's really funny.
1: The girl I went with is dead, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. She overdosed on the, I didn't even know she had a problem, you know, but I was seeing her for a little
0: bit. But we have pictures, yeah. So part of my motivation or part of what what the idea was in joining the army was, okay, Mr. Big Mouth, Mr. Hotshot, you you profess all these beliefs, well, put your money where your mouth is. You know, if you, you you know you believe this is the right thing to do, we need to go. I need to go yep. save the world from terrorism or whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? So I used to think that way, right? And then I slowly, slowly moved a little. This a little. You know, I had my libertarian phase, yeah. and then I kept moving a little more to the left. And then I accidentally saw. You know, it's funny. I just, I, I saw. Um, I was in the army. And they have their own channels when you're out, you know, away from America. They, they create their own channels and they beam it to you on a satellite. So they have random a show of this, a show one hour from Comedy Central, an hour from uh, Bill O'Reilly or whatever, a little of everything. And I saw some dude with crazy hair on a PBS show with a with a New York sa- New York accent from Brooklyn. Da, 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 da. Turns out I'm watching Bernie Sanders. I never heard of this guy before. And this is like 10 years ago, 15 years ago by now and I'm listening to him, and it was on Bill Moyers, not Bill Maher, yeah. but Moyers on, on yeah. PBS. Yeah. And whatever, long story short, I became a complete full-blown lefty, yeah. but I'm still open to ideas, I pay attention to all these yeah. different points of view, and yeah. I take a little bit from you here and a little look, bit from there.
1: You have to search for reasons you're wrong. Yes, not, I always try to, to- search for reasons you're right, always search for reasons you're wrong. Like, I cannot begin to tell you how much it pains me to say this, but like I, can, I, I am having physical pain as I am saying these words. I'm holding your hand. I hands. have to entertain the possibility. I have to. In order to remain a functioning human being, I have to entertain the possibility that Trump might be right. I have to. I must.
0: <laughs> I must. I must. Here, I'll, 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 I'll assuage your pain a little bit? No, he isn't. Of course. Yeah. He's you know. wrong. He's a fucking asshole. Oh, He's a piece of shit. Course. Okay. No, no, a million guys like him. You know, we, we know a million guys like him in New York. He's so full of shit. is coming out of his ears. <laughs> no. But, but, there are actual thoughtful conservatives with actual principles. There are fewer and fewer of them. But if we forget people, if, you, if you, right. there are concepts, there are a handful of ideas that are not 100% wrong. Right. Trump couldn't name them if you put a gun to his head. So right. Trump's a bad example. But right. the principles, some of them aren't 100% wrong. And we have to be open to that, you know? problem is you can't, and you shouldn't. I mean, you have to be open to it, obviously, yes. I mean, I'm yourself. saying philosophically. You want to be open to, yeah. to concepts, right?
1: Yeah, like I was watching the convention. I was watching both conventions, you know, I'm a political junkie, always have been. And especially now when it's such a great show. But, uh, but I was watching the convention and I, I, I watched the Democratic National Convention and I finished it and I felt so good. I felt so hopeful. I was like, this is great. This is like, yes, 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 yes. I also was watching it and I was like, this is dumb. This is dumb. This is dumb. Stop appealing to your base. Stop going after like AOC's people and like, like the preaching, the preaching of the black stuff and all that. It was like right, a little, right, not, right. not for me personally, but, but like- I was looking at it politically, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, as a as a tactic, yeah. Right. I was like, this is not a good idea. This is dumb. This is dumb. I don't know what the fuck are you doing. But I felt good. Mm-hmm. I finished it, and I felt really good. And then I watched the RNC, and I was like, this shit might work. This shit might actually work. Because, like, for a second there, for a second there, I couldn't look away. Like, for a second there, I. For a second there, I must have believed it enough to not be able to look away. So which means that if it worked on
0: me for like a second, a split second, it is definitely going to work. Listen, and I drive I doing. drive all over the country. Yeah, I drive, I'm constantly out there. There are people who went in, for whatever reason, bullshit or not, there are people with Trump 2020 signs on their lawns and, and yeah. flags, so. No, I know, there's, there's a lot, there's a lot of them, yeah. Anyways, but that whole subject, you know, we, it's a whole, it's its own thing. So anyway, so you're working at Duncan Quinn. Let's get back on track. You're at Duncan yeah. Quinn. So what was that like? And then what happened? So that was like, that was quite an experience. You know, I,
1: I met some very, very interesting people and uh, I got to do some very interesting things and learned a lot. And that brought me like a certain level of comfort within the secular world. It was at that point where like my social circle was no longer just, Hasidim and ex-Hasidim, right. you know, my social circle was loud, like because then I had like basically Hasidim, ex-Hasidim and then I had some friends with my girlfriend mm-hmm. You know, but I, there wasn't really much else and this was basically This was basically like welcome to the real world. This was like me finally like Really becoming spreading your wings. Yeah. Yeah, like just really getting comfortable in this new existence you know, I at some point I was like totally comfortable in a restaurant. I was totally comfortable in a bar. I was like totally comfortable going to the movie theater. It was no longer like a big deal.
0: Like I was starting to be normal. You know, I I, I, like, it's normal. so amazing how each each of those things you just mentioned. All of us, each one of us, have yeah. a, a moment that we remember the first time you went to a bar or that time you finally felt comfortable. You know what I mean? Because it's a big yeah. deal when you've never done any of this. You have no idea, Did no took
1: context. Yeah, well, it took a long time for us to kind of, like, really get comfortable with the idea of, like, going to a bar to hang out.
0: Right, right.
1: You know, it's like, it's like, oh, it's like a normal thing people do. They meet up at a bar and they have a couple of drinks and they hang out. Yeah. And it's not, like, it's not a thing. It's not something, you know? It's just like you go to the bar and you hang out. somewhere to it like, go. It's something to do. Yeah, and, like, you realize at a certain point that, like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm just doing this now. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah, I don't know if I remember exactly when it took but it was, cause like at that time, like it was part of my job. Drinking was part of my job, you know, like hanging out was part of my job. Schmoozing these people was part of my job. Handing out cards, you know, like going to the right parties where people, were the kind of people who would buy your stuff you know, would, right. would be hanging out. It was all that, you know. But in the meantime, you still wanted to be an actor, right? That was yeah. still the goal. Uh-oh. I think it was my first year at Duncan Quinn is when, I, uh, is when I got my first, like, real acting role, which was, like, where's Joe Baum? Like, Pearl yes.
0: I remember that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that was my first, like, real acting role. And I remember, like, when, you know, when I finished that, I won a couple of awards. I was like, oh, you know, like, I guess it's not just me who thinks I could be good at this. Yeah, yeah. You know, because up until that point, it was like, you could only, like, really call it a delusion. You know, Right, you haven't been tested yet. Exactly, like I had no proof I could act. No external, right, exactly. Yeah, like like I said I could act, like, you know, I, could, I couldn't prove it. And now like someone took a risk on me or like someone like saw what I was doing and thought they could work with this and they made it. And now some random person who knows nothing about me saw it and, and liked it. believed that I was that character. So like, right.
0: okay, so I guess it worked. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm
1: <laughs> And because they gave me an award for it, I thought it was good acting. Right. And, and so I did that, and uh, now and I, I shot that, I went back to Duncan Quinn, and that movie is when I first cut off my uh, my beard. Beard and face. Yeah, so that was the first time. After that, I didn't really grow it back unless I had a role.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So after that is when you probably knew me, so we saw each other most, when I was clean shaven, you know, like perfectly cut hair every day, you right. know always looked like i just walked off a runway
0: yeah yeah, uh,
1: yeah. that's how i dressed every single day i wore bespoke suits bespoke shirts ties and fancy shoes,
0: loafers and the, and the pocket loafers, squares and the whole
1: uh, thing exactly like the whole nine yards that was my job it was i was dressed like that every day and i I loved i loved it you know i mean i hate listen i i figured out later much later that i'm not a job person
2: mm-hmm. um, yeah
1: and i think that was a difficult part of that job it was also a very difficult job you know i ended up running like several stores, you know, it was like, it ended up becoming, I ended up being in charge of the company and it was Mm -hmm. was a ton of responsibility and it was, you know, I was not really ready for it. Um, So it ended up being very difficult, but a lot of fun and and I loved it. But during that time, after Where's Joe Baum came out, it got into a festival in Montreal. Mm -hmm. And the producers of Felix and Mira saw the performance in Where's Joe Baum and they reached out to me on Facebook. Okay. And they wanted me to audition. And uh, I remember it was Nancy Grant, one of the producers of Felix Amira, who reached out to me. I I cannot stress this enough, what an absolutely talented and wonderful person she is, before I say what I'm about to say. Uh Uh-oh. Like her credits and her, the level of which she operates at is like, is serious. She is creme de la creme of producers, but she's also incredibly good looking. Mm. So being where I was at the time in my life, seeing a message from a stranger on Facebook who looks very good, who says something about having you in her movie, I'm like, there's no way this could possibly go wrong.
0: <laughs> it's a
2: yeah. win-win.
1: the win-win. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, you're either going to get her or you're going to get the, the movie. movie or, you know, but like, you, got, you, got, you don't have much to lose here.
2: Right. You know?
1: That was my thinking at the time. She is going to hate hearing this if this ever comes out. It's very offensive, but it's, it's the truth. It's really what happened. And, you know, judge me as you may. And I cannot it's, stress enough how much respect I have for her now, 10 years later, you know, like that is not even like remotely, like on my mind. And if you look her up, you'll see what a powerhouse she is. You know, she's an incredible woman. I have worlds of respect for her, worlds of respect for her. Mm-hmm. And we've worked together on another movie since, you know, so don't worry, we're fine. So anyway... So his message comes out on Facebook from, like, this producer in Montreal. She's like, you know, I saw something. I saw Where's Doba. I was wondering, we're doing a movie. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is, like, another one of those, like, dumb indie films with no money and not going to go anywhere. Because I've already shot, like, a few of those with, like, people who didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Right. And, Student films or something. Yeah, it's like that just crap and garbage, and, you know. And so I thought it was another one of these. And I, but I like, but she was pretty. And, like, so I responded. And they were like, "Okay, well, we're gonna come in and we're gonna have an audition." I remember, I, I, I don't know if I introduced them to Melissa, uh, but I, rec- I, I remember definitely recommending Melissa. I was like, Melissa "You know, Weiss. Melissa Wise, yes, because we were like a, this, you know, like the city group. Like, like, if they're gonna make movies about Kassidim, then we have to be involved, and we're gonna involve everyone. We're a team,
2: right? You know, yeah, we're a
1: team. So I brought her, and I brought her Michelle. Um, I forgot her last name now because she changed Green. The, uh, Facebook. Michelle Green. Yes, yes." And, uh, you know, like, yes, like a bunch of like, I, you know, so she auditioned and I, we did an audition with her. And I'm still thinking this is a big nothing burger, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, we end up go, all going out together and getting drunk and this and that. And uh, I think I was probably flirting with uh, Nancy. I don't remember if she was, she came to New York. I think she did come to New York, but anyway,
0: that's what You didn't what have it was. high hopes, you didn't have, exce- didn't have expectations. Hopes. I didn't
1: think anything of it and I, you know, they went back to my day. And then I looked up the director and the producers and I was like, oh fuck, this is real.
0: This is serious.
1: Yeah, this is real. I thought, I thought this was a joke. This is real. And I was like, oh, I am so not getting this. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so reckless, like in how much I drank in front of them and how I was like being so like myself and unguarded. and. And that was like on a Saturday night I think it was that the whole thing happened. And I Tuesday I get a phone call and they're like, yeah. You got, you got
0: it. it. And what's Sam, so interesting to me, I hear this a lot about auditions, but but I hear this you know just in in general a lot. When you have no hope in your in your mind, when you have no hope that this is going to happen, so you just let loose, that's when often it works out the best. Yeah. And sometimes you're right. <laughs> Right. Right. Of course. Of course. Sometimes, you you know, yeah,
1: yeah. Sometimes you're right. But yeah, that's, that's what happened. So I I got that and that happened just as I was moving to LA, I was moving to LA to take over the Duncan Quinn store in LA,
2: Hmm.
1: you know, which uh, was dealing with some stuff and some personnel changes. And I, you know, it needed a steady hand with someone who like knew the shit.
2: Hmm.
1: So I moved out to LA just as I booked that, just as I got the job for Felix Amira, and that's where I met Hadas, because Hadas was coming to LA to do some uh, acting classes and meet agents and because she, she just did Fill the Void and she was like, she was very hot. And uh, so that's how we rehearsed. And I, that's when I taught her Yiddish. So mm-hmm. that's Yiddish that she talks, that she speaks in the movie. We worked on it for months here in LA. So then we shot that and I still, I still thought like, listen, these guys are serious guys, but it's probably going to be some like obscure, like... Small uh, indie. Yeah, no one's going
0: to see it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I never thought I was going to reach... I mean, it never reached like, the, the, the audience that Unorthodox reached, obviously, you know, or one of us. You know. It never reached that wide of an audience, but it was like a wider audience than I ever imagined I would have. You right. know? It won awards. It was a big deal. It was a serious a movie. A lot of awards. Yeah, it was, it was Canada's uh, entry for the Foreign Language Oscar that year. It actually beat out another movie that Nancy produced that year, yeah, Um old Canadian film. So yeah, like she was competing against herself uh, that mm-hmm. year. A lot of right. a lot of categories and a lot of um, uh, award shows because she had she'd made like two really great movies, Felix Amira and Mira and, uh, and Mommy came out the same year. Uh, which yeah. by the way, like I would recommend you watch. It is brutally amazing.
2: It's just yeah. one of the greatest I
0: remember shows. seeing the signs for it when we went up to Canada for the premiere. I, I should watch it. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so we shot that, and then that that came out, and it kind
1: of like just blew up, and from that, I basically got a DM from Joey Soloway, who at, you know, at the time was known as you know, Soloway, something else, whatever. And uh, let's not pretend like this stuff is not difficult to get used to, okay? I, I just want to acknowledge that to all my trans friends and all the people I love and the people who love them and everyone on the, our side, on the left, mm. you know, who want everything to be perfect exactly the way we want it. Let's acknowledge that, it, that it's a learning curve. Of
2: you know? course, of course. And,
1: and, and, like, and let's, give, let's give each other a break every once in a while, okay? Like not everybody, this is new to a lot of people. You know, just like things were new to us when we left. It takes adjusting and, and getting used yeah. to. A lot of people are completely unaware of this, of this idea of dead naming. People don't know about that.
2: Right,
1: yeah. You know, people just don't know. They're not aware of it. They're just not aware that it's offensive. They don't know. Yes. You gotta give people a break. You gotta
0: let people fuck up. You have to let people fuck up. It, I wouldn't uh, even call it that. People have to, you have to give them a chance to learn. Yes. To adjust. Yes,
1: you know, because we got a chance. People gave us a chance, you know? Right. It's like me yeah. and you, like like we had a chance. Like we had to learn, look. Yes, uh, at some point I had to explain to us why you can't say, you know, certain words anymore.
0: I, a very good friend of mine, who hopefully will be a future guest on the show. Uh, we'll get into the full story then, but, Post- but a good friend of mine transitioned. Forget uh, right or wrong, or I understand it, or don't, or don't understand it. Fundamentally, do you? I don't care. I, that's yeah. none of my business, right? But, but even mid and I still had to get used to new pronouns and a new name. And not because, it's not malicious. I just, I've known you, For however long this way, and now I have to learn a new name. I have to learn a new way to refer to you. Yeah. And to their credit, they were patient and corrected me, and I was open to be corrected and to learn. Yeah. But as you're saying, we got to be a little patient. People. Yeah, I was lucky. I was, I
1: was, I was very lucky, and in a way, because when I I got when I got a direct message from uh, from Joey Soloway, basically, you know, they read about me in the New York Times and uh and you know they were interested in you know whether i wanted to work with them and i was like yeah absolutely anyway but i ended up work being on transparent i don't actually end up appearing in the show you know i got caught but mm-hmm. I, you know i was on it and i worked on it for you know a while in the second season you know i was i was work, I worked on several episodes and it was like a couple of weeks of work and you know i was basically involved in the show so i got to meet the people on the show so i was lucky that as this trans awakening was happening, because it was happening at that time, you know, it was like, this was like the time of Caitlyn Jenner and Laverne Cox and Transparent.
0: To us normies, this was new, you know what I mean? If you were in the LGBT community and or whatever, fine, it's all news to you. But to us normal people, so to speak. People who weren't exposed to it. We were learning this was all new. So this was like during that, so
1: I was lucky that I got to work with those people on that show at that time and to have abby come out at the same time yes you know it kind of like it was a big shock to my system but it was also like it was also fairly quick because like it's amazing how quickly you get used to gender neutral bathrooms Mm, right i'm telling you i'm telling you you will be surprised how like second you're done peeing you realize well that wasn't that bad was it (laughs) right you know, it's like, do the I works the same? Yeah, no, like, 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 Now I just realized, like, do I care what from which hole it's coming out? The stall, the, the stall next to me? Like, the, right. Like, the, the stall, what, what's happening in the stall, one stall over? Yeah. Appears. It's like, I think I'm pretty sure anybody in the bathroom, the last thing they want to think about is what is coming out of another person's hole. I'm pretty <laughs> fucking sure about that. Right. So you get over that extremely quickly. It was so normal. Like you walk on set and there's like, people not like boys and girls and like guys and like and you know what i learned the hard way because i i have to have these i was like so what are you like who are you i asked these questions
2: right you know
1: and for some reason they i guess it was before 2020 it was still okay to make to it was ask, still okay to ask yeah it's okay to be dumb <laughs> um, <laughs> right. they, they, they indulged me you know they indulged me and I, i'll never forget i like lady J was like this incredible performer penis actress she was just so. She, she her name is Our Lady J. That's like what she goes by. That's her like thing. Uh, Stage name. Yeah. Yeah. But she literally told me to my face. She was like, "There is absolutely nothing you can ask me that I will be offended by. Mm-hmm. I want you to have all the answers." Like so explicitly. Like she made it so clear to me. Like to me. Like that level of understanding. Like that the fact that she understood. That like I am new to these people. I have to introduce myself. You know? And that is literally And explain the- myself. Not just introduce, but explain. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that will get people to like me. Right. You know, they can look past the shit. You know, they can get all the questions answered. And then feel just good that you see what I mean. Yeah. Feel good that I'm not here to like, you know fuck them or like in any ways corrupt them or change them. I'm just here to be here. But if you have any questions, to give the person permission to like, that's how you build allies. And I think that like, to me, I don't know why we keep going back to this cancel culture bullshit. I'm not even involved in any of that stuff, but I like, you know, I read about it. I but hear I, about it
0: a lot. So it, I, about I about, end up no, thinking think, about it because I hear people quetching about it.
1: No, I think, I, I do think, I think the reason I talk about it is because I think, I, th- I do think that OTD people have a unique perspective on this. Mm-hmm you know, because we have to learn how to not
0: be offensive and how to fit in in so many ways. And and we, we also learn, we have to go through this kind of, in our own way, our, our own process of yes. learning and explaining trial ourselves and, yeah. and learning about the rest of the world and how they see us and how to tell our story and that kind of thing. Right, and also trial and error. You know, we have to yes. figure a lot of making mistakes, out. trying and, again. And we know, and we all appreciate
1: and we all know who those people are. We know who the people who were patient with us and didn't call us exactly. racists and misogynists and right-wingers and cuckoos. We know who those people are. And you know what? They are not the big stars in our lives, but right. you know they're there. And because of them, we are where we are. And we have the beliefs we are. We are as progressive or as something conservative, you know, right. You know, but we all know those people who influenced us in that way by not judging us and by be willing to answer questions. And and I, and I think the re only reason I talk about it, because I think that people like us have a responsibility to not be a part of that mob and to be a voice for the ignorant.
0: I agree with you. I agree with you. I've actually thought about, you know, now that I'm doing a podcast, I've thought about, you know... Whether I want to get into politics in any like discussing politics in any kind of way, and for the most part, I don't. What am I going to say that nobody's already heard? There's yeah. nothing I can say that somebody else isn't already saying better, more articulated in a better way than I can, right? But, but as you're saying, there are certain things and there are certain perspectives that we have just simply from life experience. Yeah, you know, learning to be patient and unlearning, unlearning too. Right, of course, unlearning our own past or, or, or reconfiguring things or whatever. You know what I mean? So we have an experience life experience that makes us a little more, hopefully makes us a little more tolerant and a little more understanding to people as they are moving along in, in their yeah. understanding of the world or, or whatever the latest and greatest newest, you know, yes. mores are.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because they do keep changing. And it's like, and I think, I think that part of like part of the frustration with the younger generation, with our generation is that they look at us like, what
0: you think you're liberals. Really? Right. You know, of course, like, every generation thinks the one behind them is a bunch of yeah. guys. Like right. what? Like you think Bill Maher is a liberal? What are you kidding me? You know what he right. said about Muslims? You yeah. know, did you see his misogynistic jokes? He's
1: a liberal. Like, yeah. And I get that. I understand that,
0: you know, and, uh, But I mean, also, I mean, if you look at, if you look at um, like nowadays, they're talking about um, which statues should stay and which should go, right? Or how we look at our own American historical figures, you know, to me, it's not that hard to understand the difference between Robert E. Lee and Abraham Lincoln and uh, George Washington, Christopher Columbus. In their time, they might have been you know, some people are more, more progressive or less progressive or some people fit the model of the time. You know what I mean? It's not that hard to, to, to place yourself. If you read history, you understand what what was acceptable or what was Personally, normal at the time. Yeah. Personally, I don't believe in heroes. So you're not going to get me to defend any fucking statue. Right. Uh, well, statues are stupid, but I'm saying yeah, it, yeah, as you really, look at yeah. the people <laughs> and how they fit in with their times and what they said yeah. and how, you know what I mean? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. That hard to parse how we look at these people, I and we can't judge people. We can't judge people in 2020, you know, 120, 150, 200 years later, and right. say you should have been right. no. But like if, we know what like the standards then were.
1: Everybody has to acknowledge that no matter how progressive you are, you are going to be backwards one day. Yes, uh, you are going to be considered like really primitive and backwards one day. Yeah. So you know, you're not perfect. <laughs> Right. Um, <laughs> um that's something you could really say about Trump. the Right.
0: He's the embodiment the embodiment of well, the opposite of speak softly and carry a big stick. You know what I mean? Dunning, I mean like there's so many like he's the Dunning, he's a
1: Donning Kruger effect in practice. <laughs> on feet on, on two feet, right. Yes. Steroids. You know, it's yeah. Donning Kruger on steroids. It's Dunning Kruger on COVID, that's what it is.
0: On, on Diet Coke and, and, and McDonald's.
1: Yeah, anyway, where were we?
0: Anyway, so. So yeah, Duncan Quinn and then I did Felix Amira and, and then Felix Amira kind
1: of blew up. Like my, like my acting career was starting to take off, so I quit Duncan Quinn because I just couldn't, I was promoting Felix Amira because we had an Oscar campaign, <laughs> you know, because we were Canada's entry. So we had to do all that stuff and all these uh, appearances. So I just couldn't run a company that large and, right. and do that at the same time. So I ended up leaving, and uh, yeah. So then I did Transparent, and then you know it dried up for a while. I don't remember what I did for the after that. I don't think anything major. I can't think of anything major I did after that. Uh, but then one of us came out, and then immediately after, that because- blew up. Yeah. Well, that blew up. Also, like, also High Maintenance came out. Yes. It's about the same time, because, like, they were shooting me shooting High Maintenance. Right. So, like, I think they, like, came out around the same time, because they're both in production at the same time. So that was that. But those were, like, years apart. Those were, like, years apart.
0: Um, it was, like, a lot of dry spells, which is normal, you know. Which right. Is, uh, right. A lot of people don't realize this, and I I'm not, I have nothing, you know, I'm far from Hollywood it's not my life, but I just hear this from, from listening to interviews and stuff like that. Yeah. The vast majority of people in this business, we don't even know their names. You know what I yeah. mean? It's the tip of the iceberg are the yeah. people in the movies also, that we like, all a lot know. Of,
1: like, a l- lot of people don't even realize, like, nobody is asking is like, what's Sharon Stone up to? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, she was like, literally, like, she was like the biggest deal for like, a while. And then like, where, where, where is she? Yeah. You know, but she didn't really, she was like, she was just, she was not working that much, and she was not, she made, like, all often, like, you make when you make so much money, when you have such, like, one or two successful movies, and she had, like, several really successful movies. Yeah, she was a huge star for a while. But, and when you make that much money, you start remembering why you became an actor, and, like, you want to do other kind of work, and you do the kind of work that maybe doesn't get that much the interesting
0: interest. stuff.
2: You do the
1: interesting yeah. stuff, you, you do the stuff, you, you know, it's funny because, like, you start out, doing the interesting experimental stuff, you know, in the hopes that it will get you something big <laughs> so you can make, make money to go back to, make doing, money.
0: go back to doing the interesting right. stuff. Right. You know. See, all of this stuff, yeah, of course, all of this stuff I only know from listening to people like Mark Maron, which to circle back to Marin, tell me about that. You were, you were on his show. What was that like? You were in his original garage, right? Garage, yeah, yeah. What, yeah. How did that happen? What was that like? I still consider that one of the greatest days of my life. That, that must've been so
1: cool. It, it was so cool and so crazy and so surreal. I don't remember a- anything about how I felt while it was happening. Like completely, like just like, I mean, like yeah, I understand, like it's a big deal. Like it's not just that his podcast is a big deal. You know, it's like, it's a massive audience, but it's, it's also that like, he is a big deal.
0: Yeah.
2: You know?
1: Like people who fo- who have been following him for a long time, like me
0: and you. Yeah.
1: You know I've like, been a fan of
0: his for years. I don't remember exactly right. when I discovered him, but it was very, very early on. Very early on, yes. Right. Before um, most people knew the word podcast. But so to me it was huge that, that a friend of mine is on the show. It was very exciting. Right.
1: Yes, but people like us were also like huge fans because we've yeah. been because part of the appeal of Mark Marin, right, obviously is not just like the audience, it's him. Part of why you listen to him, like I, like I always like feel weird about the people who skip the intro.
0: No, that's you the know. best part. Best part. Come like, on.
1: Like why else? Like I mean, yes, maybe this celeb- maybe the celebrity is gonna say something they haven't said before. At you know
0: these. Days- I never miss the intro. Sometimes the, the guest will be boring and I'll skip that. But uh, yeah. but I always I'm always listening to the
1: intro. Right, because what makes Martin interesting is like following his story, his growth, his, yeah. his trajectory, his career his everything, his relationships, you know? And like, Lynn, yeah. you know, I know Lynn. I know Lynn from the film festival circuit. I know her from a right. transparent uh, um, group, you know? Like I know her, like it's mm-hmm. like the, the, whole, the story of it, like the whole, that's what makes it. I mean, this was before Lynn, obviously. This was right. like a couple of years right. ago. But I don't remember like how I felt during any of it. I was like, just trying to not act crazy. <laughs> but, like my main focus was like two things. Don't be weird and don't try to
0: be funny in front of him. Right. Those are like the two things. Like don't try to be funny. I think that I pulled it off. I think you did a great job. I re, I remember. I don't remember if I knew beforehand or if you announced that it's coming or something. No, but no I, 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 I couldn't. Yeah. Right. So I thought I thought you did a great job. It was a great interview. it was, it was classic Marin. Marin and loser. It was great. I, it was it was a fun to listen to. Here's how
1: it happened. This is how it came about. I don't think I've ever said this like on the record or whatever um this is on the record here we go we followed him for a long time and every time he would mention something about Hasidim on his show or in his on his podcast or in his shows
0: mm-hmm.
1: i would be the one to send it back when his email was open like when he gave out his email address to everyone
0: straight to him directly yeah
1: like the we are, early in the podcast those emails would go to him you know Mm-hmm. Um, I think Brandon too, but like, but the I think it was his email address. So I would email him and say like, "Oh, you got this wrong about the Hasidim. You got that wrong about the Hasidim." And I would just like I was like a fan. I was like an annoying yeah. fan, you know, who only a, like, like a talk radio caller, the exactly. kind of person, yes. yeah, yeah, yes, yes. You know, like basically the guy who like every time you mention Mars, you know, he's like, "Oh, well, well, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah."
1: So I became that guy, and then i met him um at a show i this was very early on i still had my beard i had my pious and i went to his show and like and you know he was very nice and you know i introduced myself and uh i he didn't mention anything about the emails or anything like that didn't say anything just like you know very nice and very like so you're a hasid huh you come to my shows huh? do they know you come to my shows you know no. and i explained to him it's like i'm not really hasid i'm like you know i'm a you know, I'm a, I'm, I want to be an actor and like this whole, it was, and, and like in retrospect, you can imagine how ridiculous that sounds.
0: Right. Um, yeah, but but it's you and a million other people in Hollywood that yeah. have
1: the same no, story. But that was that was me. That was my story. My right. my story was like so, it was like every million, it was a million people in Hollywood, but mine was even more ridiculous than that. <laughs> right. You know? right. Like most people in Hollywood, like, don't even know what a Hasidic Jew is. Yeah, There's a guy who thinks that like, there's a niche that I in Hollywood don't know about that that's how he's going to break in. You know?
2: It's
1: a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. And also right. like, you're willing to walk around looking life, like that. Looking like that on that completely off chance of that kind happen. Of, it's completely off the bat insane. Come on. Yeah. Let's, let's acknowledge that. Yeah. So anyways, I was that guy. And uh, then this book came out I think it was attempting normal or one before that one, and he had a book signing at the Barnes and Noble in Union Square.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I went after work, and I was at the time I was working at Duncan Quinn. Mm-hmm. So I show up after work in my work clothes, looking like a million bucks, fresh right? hair, you know. And I come up to him with the book, and he's like, and he looks at me, and he goes like, "Ha, got a haircut, huh?" <laughs> That was literally his entire reaction. I was like, huh, you got a haircut, huh? He yeah. recognized me and he remembered me. And that was that. And then when Felix Amira came out, I thought I had a shot at getting on a show to promote the movie. And the distributor, Oscilloscope, had hired this PR company, pretty good PR company. And I spoke to the PR people and I was like, could you guys, because they were trying to get me interviews, right? That, that's right, of part of the spiel, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you know. You try to get to see which show you can get on. And I said, like, we should try to get on Marin. We should try to get on Marin. And I'm, I don't know if they tried or not, but they probably didn't. But anyway, I didn't get on. Mm-hmm. And then one of us came out. And then I tried again. Uh, this time, through net, I thought Netflix would have more sway. Right. And because he's like, he has a Netflix special. And like his glow, I think, was on Netflix. Was out. So, like, you know, he has a relationship. Maybe we can squeeze in. Isn't that? Didn't happen. Then, one day, I think he had Joy Behar on. He has Joy Behar on. And Joy Behar, I think, grew up in Williamsburg. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about Williamsburg. And somehow, Mark Maron manch- mentions, you know, like that this, this guy, you know, like he was this Hasid, and then he left and he escaped, and then he came out here. And next thing I know, he's like, he's like doing things. He's like an actor, man. He was like, yeah. like, holy fuck, he's talking, he's about, talking me. about me. Yeah. You know, so I send him an email.
2: Hmm. You know,
1: I'm like, well, maybe I'm no longer the guy who emails him every time he talks about Hasids, but I think I've earned the right to email him if he's going to talk about me. Right, right. You know, so I'm not 100% sure if it was the Adam Goldberg episode or the Joy Behar episode because I think he mentioned something about me on the Adam Goldberg episode too, but I think this happened in the Joy Behar episode. So I send him an email um, and I say, listen, you know, like I, I think it was like High maintenance was coming out at the time. Yes, because high maintenance thing came out in February. So I think this was like in January or something or December. I send him the email and I hear nothing. Yeah. Six months later, I think it was, I get an email from him and it says, what's your number? That was it. That was it. it
0: was aye, like yeah, yeah. Mark,
1: what's your number? So I immediately reply with my number. Yeah. At the time, I was in New York,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay? And he didn't know it because I was officially living in LA, but I was in New York doing the theater stuff. You know, so I, I, mean, I was that year I was in New York, the whole year I was living in the Bronx. So he texts me, he's like, hey, could you do tomorrow at noon? I am in New York. Right. It's 7 p.m. in New York. Can you do tomorrow at noon? And I'm like, absolutely, oh, yes. Yeah. Now, you got to understand, I am broke at the time, you know, like, I, like, I, I go through different levels of, of, of like, a of promise. money. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, I'm an actor, you know, because I, I live yeah. a very, I, I mean, I live a very, a very inexpensive life, you know, and my life costs me almost nothing. Uh, so, like, I don't need a lot to be very comfortable. But at the time, I was in New York, and I was paying rent, and I, and, uh, I, I didn't have any money, but what I have is a good credit card. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And if there was ever a time to use that good credit card. This is it. This was the time. So I let absolutely, I went online, bought a ticket, you know, which cost a fucking fortune. Oh, and, yeah. Yeah. And when I got to the airport, because I, I needed to, I realized that I should probably get some sleep. I knew this is about to be the greatest, one of the greatest days of my life. Yeah. And they offered me an upgrade to first class for like $250. And I was like, hey, listen. I've already dumped that much into this thing, 250 Walk in the fucking park. Let's do it. <laughs> Considering I can't pay any of this back anyway, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, fuck it, yes. So I'm flying first class to LA. And I get to the airport and I reserve the rental car. And I'm like, hey, you know what? If we're doing it, we're doing it. You know, they have an Audi A8, $50 a day upgrade. Let's like, do
0: it. go all out let's go all out man I'm going to it's a business expense listen it's good for publicity and
1: all that I'm going to man's garage man are you like this is like a whole different thing you
2: know
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, yeah so I drive from the airport to my friend uh, Amanda's house and I say hi to her for a little bit and then I drive up to his house I you know and he had now he doesn't live there anymore we had this really steep garage steep uh, uh, driveway you know Audi A8, not exactly known for ground clearance. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, he scratched it up. the shit out of that thing, you know, <laughs> showing up yeah. like a baller. And I immediately realized he, you know, he's dressed like Mark Marin, you know? Right. Like, you see him in his Instagram videos. Right. You
0: know? he's, he's himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And here I am showing up in an Audi A8. Like, why? Like, who am I trying to impress? Like, Mark Marin does not give a shit about cars. He's not. He's he drives pick- a Toyota
0: Camry. Like, he's not, yeah. Yeah,
1: no. I mean, like, he's not going to, this is not going to be a good first impression. That is what I realized the second I drove up this driveway. Right. I was like, this is off to the wrong foot.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he's just there, and he's, like, just hanging out. He's like, hey, what's up, man? You know, I'll show you around, you know. I needed to pee, obviously, because I was nervous as fuck.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, so the first thing I asked is for the pee. So I peed. And he's like, hey, you need anything? And, you know, I'm like, no, I'm good, you know. He's like, there's water in the garage, you know, in the middle of stuff, you know, if you want to, you know, like, cool. So we start talking and I'm like, I'm telling him about, I mean, you probably remember this episode when he talked to his father.
0: I don't remember specific.
1: Life. Oh, on the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And where they like make amends. Right. Where, like, yeah. He's, 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 he's
0: always having issues with his
1: father. Yeah. Yeah. So like that episode, like I had to pull over and like, I, cause I was bawling because it was like. Mm. It was during the same time that I was like trying to fix things with my family. I was like, maybe we can make this work some way where like they let me be me and I will pretend to be a little bit of them when I go see them. And, you know, maybe right. we can make this work. This was before one of us came out. So after one of us came out, my father stopped talking to me again. So like- There's no said, pretending yeah, anymore. Yeah. Yeah. But at the time, like we were trying to fix things. So I was talking to him and, and he goes like, wait, hey, wait, 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 Like, let's not talk without having mics on, you know? Like, save so it we- for the recording. Yeah. Save it for the thing. And he's like, let me show you the garage. And like, we go into the garage, and like, you know, you know, and we're just like schmoozing, right? We're mm-hmm. just still talking, but we're already sitting in the garage, and we're already like sitting in the microphones, and like, and I'm like, oh, so are we on? Or lucky Have we see? And he's like, yeah, we've been on the whole time. And we, mm-hmm. whole- oh, okay, and like, so like, so you don't know when like when you're live,
0: right? Right. There's no three, two, one, go.
1: Yeah, you know, he's just fussing around and we're like talking. You know, he sits back in his chair sometimes, and, and like, you know, and it's like. And the whole time, like, I have to like constantly remember that I have to talk to him actually. But also at the same time, I was like, Oh my God, I am literally sitting in Obama's chair.
2: <laughs> literally
1: Right. I'm in Mark Maron's garage. I'm in Mark Marin's garage talking yeah. to him. Iggy Pop sat on this chair with his shirt off. Right, yes. You know, like, every fucking legend, every artist that we admire and that we love or that we just, like,
0: like... Or watch all the time or listen to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is sat in his chair. And Obama! And Obama, right. You have to have a
1: conversation while that is going through your head. It's very difficult. It's funny because, like, I listened to the episode once. I wouldn't do it more than once because it's weird.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Like, I... I seem pretty relaxed. You sounded very good. You sounded chill and normal. You sounded good. Yeah, so weird because I was so not.
2: Mm.
1: I, was so, I was going crazy in my head. Inside, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and then afterwards, he's like, you're hungry? And I'm like, yeah, sure, I can eat. And we went to like a Mexican restaurant and ordered some burritos and he bought me lunch.
2: You know, That's basically. very cool.
1: And you know, I, I tried to make awkward conversation with him over lunch. And, was okay, you yeah. Know. I think he was being nice. You know, he was very, very, very nice to me. I cannot like. There are certain things that, that we talked about that are not on the show that I can't talk about, but I can absolutely unequivocally
0: say he was extremely nice to me. He, I mean, look, he has he has a sort of rough exterior to some extent, but if you listen to him long enough. You see, he's yeah, a kind, he's a kind to... nice person. I've seen him live once. He's a nice guy. Yeah, but he also didn't have to because he knows how well we know him.
1: So he right. knows that even if he was a dick to me, I would be like, well, that's Marin." Right, right. right. right? What I'm saying is like, he didn't have to be that nice. Sure, and right. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard when people have accepted you for who you are and you still try to be better than that. Yeah. I think that's what's inspiring about him.
0: He's just very, very, very much himself. Yeah. There's absolutely no bullshit. And he, in some ways, like, it's similar to, you know, I hear people sometimes setting aside the politics. There are some people who don't get Bernie Sanders. Like, they think he's always yelling and he sounds upset. We know people like that. We grew up around people like that. It's a style of person, right? Mm -hmm. They're not angry or they're not scary Mark Marin's style—if you yeah. get him, yeah, it's not scary. It's not. It's not threatening. But you always hear him because clearly he's had a lifetime of people misunderstanding him or misreading him. Yeah, because they think he's being a dick or whatever. Well, and also like he also admits that he was a dick. Right.
1: You know, it's. I think it's like it's it's his, it's really his self awareness. Yeah. That makes it work. Like, you, you, you wouldn't be that redeemable. Right. We wouldn't still be listening. Yeah, if, if you were in denial about your shortcomings.
0: Right, right, right. No, and, he is, and he's aware of it and he's honest about it. So that was a fun experience. Did, did, what, I'm sure you must have gotten emails or people reaching out from you from all corners of the world after that. What's interesting?
2: Nothing.
1: Almost. There- I wouldn't say, like, nothing. I would say, like, not a lot
0: nothing really
1: not a lot like like there's no like the you know like even though like the industry listens to this podcast more than anyone else even right in, in like in, in the entertainment industry this is an important podcast to listen to so uh yeah but like i didn't really get any like
0: offers from it or like phone calls or anything so since then so now that so you moved to los angeles mm-hmm. and now th- this is your full time thing you're yeah. acting so Tell us about what, what's, what's life like in Hollywood,
1: you know? Oh, as a, I have no idea, I'm not part of Hollywood. You, you don't know? You know, I live in my RV and I drive around and I uh, go places and yes, I spend a lot of time in, in 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 California, in Southern California, near LA, in LA, outside of LA, you know? But I'm not really like in the smetana, I'm not in the- In the I of it, Yeah. But you know, I listen. You know, the work is based. I, I mean, I'm I'm writing stuff. I'm always trying to develop things and develop new ideas and new shows and new things. I did a movie uh, last year, exactly a year ago, actually. It's amazing, but like this year has just been completely
0: well. Blind. This is you're uh, ruined because yeah. of
1: COVID. Yeah. Last year I shot this movie in uh, in Israel and uh, and the West Bank and Palestine, whatever you want to call it, and uh, and Jordan. So I I shot this movie that uh, who knows what's gonna happen with that? Who knows? If it, who knows if it's gonna be any good? But the, who knows when it's going to come out. But the-
0: I haven't worked in front of the camera, but I've done a lot of work behind the camera on, on movies and TV shows, whether it's like um, translation work or consulting with, uh, you know, writing and this and that. And I mean, you can, you can attest to this. I know I, uh, um, on Orthodox just came out recently on, on, on Netflix. Yeah. And people are kvetching about, oh, they got this minor detail wrong and they got that slightly, this is slightly off. No movie, no show can ever get it a hundred percent right. No. Nothing, okay. No. We grew up Hasidish, so that's the world we know. So we noticed the, the problems. I was in the army. There is not a single movie about the army that gets it a hundred percent right. Any field, any business, any whatever that you know, watch a movie about that thing, and they're not gonna, they don't get it right. So, yeah, it's not like cops. Feel comfortable watching cop shows, okay? Right, right, right. Exactly, exactly. Lawyers are gonna find the stuff that' wrong with legal shows. Nobody gets it right. Nobody gets it a hundred percent. You can't. It's impossible. Yeah. Also, you,
1: you shouldn't try. And I think that the that's another thing. That when it comes to art, you know, well, there, there's art criticism, and then there's art cancellation. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the by definition, art, an artist must be able to do and say and draw whatever the absolute fuck they want, period, full fucking stop. (laughs) Art by its definition is that, you know, art can be, I'm not saying it should be, it can be provocative or can have all kinds of effects on people. Art should absolutely never be muzzled. And. I think that like, you know, I we get to criticize holy rollers, we get to criticize Felix Amira, we get to criticize high maintenance, we get to criticize unorthodox, we get to criticize everything you can criticize things, you can whatever. Okay. You know, you don't call for like the non existence of that art. You know, that is unacceptable. That to me is unacceptable, whether that's books or writings or magazines or tweets or like to me, like as as a quote-unquote artist, even though I hate that word because it's so fucking pretentious, you know. But it's also as, very broad.
0: It, it means uh, yeah, it
1: encompasses it, so many things. Exactly. You know, if I'm trying to tell a story, and I worry more about who I'm going to offend than how truthful the story I'm trying
0: to tell is, and how well it works, then I'm 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 not an artist. I think when I when I think about this kind of thing, I think of like you know there there are things that let's say a mom joke to make this simplest example, right? If my mother just died last week, she didn't, she's alive and well. But if my mother died last week, I know that I'm, I I shouldn't be going to a comedy show right now because I'm not in the right place personally. Right. right? I'm not going to go tell the comedian, how dare you make mom jokes. Right. It's my problem. It's my responsibility to know if I'm ready for this at the right at this moment. So that's how I feel about these things. Yeah. Going back to what we said earlier about Jewish jokes. Yeah. I can handle a Jew joke, I know you can, so we can make these jokes. If you can't, if somebody can't handle the, a Jewish joke, keep walking. It also, it, also de- it also depends why the
1: person telling the joke thinks it's funny. The intent, right, the intent matters. Right? Right? Like if the, if the person telling the Jew joke thinks it's funny because Jews are so dumb, right. right? Or something like that, then it's offensive right? If right. the person telling the joke, that joke is making fun of the person who thinks that right. that
0: joke is real, you know, the, the heart of the person, the, the, right. the intent is what is what makes all the difference. To that point about the movies and the accuracy, and I'll tell
1: you, mm-hmm. because of unorthodox, because of how it elevated the, the, the genre and the actors in it and the people from our background who are creators and writers, and all that, because there there will be a lot more content like this coming. There will be more Hasidic content coming. There's already Shtissel and Shabab and all these things. There's gonna be more. And you know, there's gonna be something you hate about each and every one of those. And the good thing about that, there's gonna be more variety, there's gonna be more stories and they're gonna get more complex and they're gonna get more interesting. Because now that everybody already understands the basics from one of us, people get the general idea of like the rules of the game. Right. Now you make, Now you can make something without having to explain any of that things. So you can go really deep into the characters and into the inner lives of those people because now you already know the basics. So the stuff that's going to come after this is going to be much more richer. And I think it's not not only are like us as ex Hasidim going to benefit from it, but I think the Hasidim are going to benefit because now they're going to be the characters that that, there, that are going to be out there about them are going to be a lot closer to who they really are. It'll and be I relatable, right? More relatable to them. Right. And also it would be a more positive view of them because they are going to be more complex.
0: Right. Human. They're more yeah. realistic more and human. Caricatured and more human. Yes. So let's go back to, I want to talk about music yeah. because you and I share a love for the music we grew up listening to. So I was wondering over time for me, over time, I'm, I'm less and less tied into the latest and greatest and who's the newest and, the, and whatever. Do you still keep up? Uh, or you just listen to what, 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 we, what you had from back then? This is where I stand with, with chassidish music, okay?
1: I like a very specific kind of chassidish music. So like I never really liked Mordechai and David. First of all, I didn't grow up on him because we weren't allowed to listen to him in our house
2: mm-hmm.
1: or Abram Fried, or uh, you know, any of that stuff. We weren't allowed to listen to that. So I didn't grow up with him. So I grew up more with bells. Bells, Bells has its own entire huge Bye. catalog. So we were allowed to have Bells and we were allowed Moshe Goldman. Yes. So those were my two main influences. But because I always abs- loved music, even though I'm not a great musician, I'm a fine singer, but I'm not a great singer. But, so I've always just loved music. And, and I expanded from there because I left Bells and I went to Yeshiva for a year in Vizhenits. So I picked up a lot of Visions in the Yeah. And that's when I fell in love with the visions in this, uh, and the whole visions of and the whole visions of thing. Right. So then I left there, and I went to Pansi, where I didn't really pick up a lot of music. I think that's when I first started buying tapes. I got exposed to some Ger, and some Jikiv, and uh, uh, mojits, You know, yeah. that stuff started coming in at that point. And then my world really exploded when I went to Yeshiv and Chesed, where singing was a huge part of the deal over there.
2: Mm. It was
1: unlike anything I've ever had before in my life. And I ate it up. Mm. So to me, chassidische music has always been the real warm chassidische music. So it was never really like the newer stuff. You know, I, I listened to like to like a, a little bit of like the first Lieb Shmeltz album or the second he was too modern for me. You yeah. know, it was like, it didn't appeal to me. It didn't have the hearts. It's
0: interesting. And, I, I listened, we listened to, definitely listened to Mordechai David, Avon Free. But you know, Kalbach was too yeah. Um I wanted to join, as a kid, I wanted to join Miami Boys Choir, but it was way too modern, you know what I mean? It was that kind of thing. But then in shul or yeshiva or whatever. Teenager, when I was a teenager, I snuck into a Miami Boys Choir concert, I remember.
1: I saw them. We once saw them. There was something. I hope, it was no one like, ever, yeah. I hope no one saw me. I mean I remember that was like the biggest trend. Yeah. You know,
2: yeah.
1: I had to figure it out because I was I was already bar mitzvah, you know, so and it was Chalamoyed, so I'm wearing Vasa Zakm. Yeah. Right. So I'm a kid in a becket chem at Vasa Zakn. You're sticking out, right. You know, you stick out on I mean, my was quiet with longer pious. I had longer, I had pious all the way down to, to my navel. So like I, I stuck out like a sore thumb and I was like, couldn't, and I, not only that, I was also so awkward because i right. would never really left my little cocoon. And I just wanted to see that, snuck out. But yeah, I went to see them. I did have an interest in my cry because it had that hatzikah,
0: they always had he, that hatzikah. Rehmeel is a, is a very, good, a very good composer. Yeah. He composed, I, I just always loved music. Like, like you were saying as a, as a teenager, you would- I should say, would... I should say, I'm, I should say I'm creeped out by him tonight, now, nowadays. <laughs> I can't right. listen, I
1: can't watch him, I'm very creeped out by him today. Like, I've, I've heard, we shouldn't even go there, but. I haven't heard anything, but now like I was watching it on YouTube, and I was like, I, I
0: don't know, it's, it ain't right. It ain't right, I don't know. Something's wrong. You know, boys choirs in general have a weird connotation, shall yeah, we but say, forget, but.
1: Yeah, I get that feeling from
0: Moshi Schwartz. Moshe, moshi Kroos. Moshi uh, uh, Kroos.
1: I, you know, I sang with him.
0: Really? Yeah. His Yiddish nachis, in my opinion, is like the biggest thing in the world in, in okay, the so last I think, 10 so that, years. So you're asking me what stuff I listen to of the
1: new stuff. So the new stuff and the old style, I love it. There was this medley on YouTube of Skelena mm-hmm. I think, is it, is it the one by Moshe Kros? Because no, no, he no, put no. out an album. He put think- one out too. And I've trust me, it's on Spotify. I'm, yeah. I'm all over that thing. But I also have Jewish Music FM, you know, the, the app, which is terrible. Yeah, yeah. terrible app, I know, I, mean, I have
0: it, right, it's terrible, but I,
1: yes. It gets the job done when you need it, you know. Right. But like that stuff, so like the new stuff and the old style, all day, every day. It's on, a lot of the stuff is on YouTube and they're like, they're sure. fantastic. And you know, I'll tell you something very interesting. I've played this stuff because I've dated people over the years and I would, you know, at some point, like I would want to expose them to like what ticks me. What and, you like,
0: listen to, yeah.
1: Yeah. And a lot of them just, like just didn't get it at all. But this, this girl I'm seeing right now when this is taped and I, you know, I might not be seeing it when it comes out. Who knows? I mean, like, you never know with these things. Yeah. But anyway, I played it for her one morning. I was sat, we were just sitting down, having our morning coffee and chilling and I put it on and she's just sitting there and I'm, all of a sudden I look, oh, because it's like 10, 15 minutes in and because it was like do, doing like one after the other on YouTube playing a couple of them and I look over at her and she's crying wow and I'm like shit I should marry her (laughs) you understand what I'm saying I totally understand like yeah if she gets that level if like this shit like talks to her
0: works for her like there's something there for us when I was in the army in Korea my job was I was I was brand new in the army I was a, a low level nobody and my job was to drive big shots colonels and generals and, and command sergeant majors, right? So I had a couple, of, like two guys were regulars and then whatever. And as the rule in the army is, if you're the driver, you're in charge of what's playing, you're in charge of the, the air conditioning, like you gotta be comfortable, whatever, right? Or oh, what are you, wait, what are you, are you driving a Humvee or like, no. what are you? I'm even it's sometimes a Humvee, but even, even when, it, if they're just going to a meeting, let's say, right? So we're driving a regular civilian car or whatever. Right, okay. I play my music, and my music is usually, it's coming from my, back then it was an iPod, now it's an iPhone. I I put on shuffle, it's going to play whatever. So one minute it's going to be Led Zeppelin, the next minute it's going to be Shia Boys Choir, whatever. Yes. It got to the point where this guy, my boss, he's an American, he's like half Korean, half American, but he's a command sergeant major in the United States Army. It's all right, right? He used to ask me, play me those kids, the one with the kids. I want to hear the one with the kids because he, you know, it's the same thing. You know, he heard it so much from me that he, he got to enjoy it. But yeah. you were saying earlier, you know, you're, you're Hasugas, like you would watch movies if you would sneak out. I, I, I didn't have such hasugas. I would sneak out of yeshiva at night during nachtzai. I would walk to like. That oh. happened once. That happened once. The movie thing happened once. And we got caught. That happened once and we got caught. You got busted. My my yeah. my big trouble was I would sneak out to wedding because every second block has a wedding hall. So I would go to yeah. a wedding hall and just to watch the musicians, watch Macho Schnitzler or Lipe Schmelzer, whoever's performing that night. Yeah, of course. Oh, and then you'll you'll appreciate this one. I was, when I was in Yeshiva in Israel, one, I think it was Shabbos Chanukah. They said that if uh, on Shabbos Hanukkah, Yermi Daman is going to sing Bam tish at bells. Yeah. So I was in 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 your and yeshiva like all the way in the other side of town. But yeah. a bunch of us guys who were really into music we were like, we got to go see this live performance of Yedidat Adam, because he's a chassidish guy. He doesn't do concerts, right? So where are you going to see him? Yeah. So we walk for like three hours. We get to Kiryat Bells over there, uh, at the other end of town. We go into the tish, and. You know, first there's the tish, and at some point there's going to be a choir and Yemi and Ganzian, so we get there late and we're at the, all the way in the back of the room. And bells Belzer Bezis and he has his fish course. He eats his yeah. fish course. Then they bring out this big. I think he rinsed his mouth out with. It wasn't just water, I, I believe it was something. He was that. wolfen could be right, he, but he rinsed his mouth out and then he spits it out. He spits it out. Between yeah. the fish and the, and the chicken soup, right? So they bring in this big, like, negovasa shishol made out of silver yeah. for him to rinse yeah. his mouth out and spit it out. So me and me and my buddies, we're a bunch of lights, and we're standing in the back. As soon as he spits it out, we're like, <clears throat> we're laughing. We burst out laughing, but quietly, right? Ten seconds later, these ginormous goons, see these ginormous bouncers come flying at us, grab us, throw us out of the room. Yep. So I never got to see Eddie perform. We slept all the way up there to see him. That was Bells
1: in the 90s, you know, that was Bells in the 90s and the 2000s. That wouldn't happen these days anymore. Bells back then, they were, man, they were tough guys. They were tough guys because you, you, you guys were Satma, so like we, we were on different sides. Right, uh, it was, it was 90s, like, it was the war, the right. It was war, it was, yeah. these times, it, was, it was hot. You know, I remember when the Bells of Roof came to New York, we got on our school buses and, and some of the Satmaras spray painted on it. I remember. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, you know, we, we got vandalized. I mean, dude, those were serious times and it, and it, it came after Satmar was, you know, was just done, you know, with their own shit, with the B'nai Their own
0: politics, right.
1: You no, know, the B'nai That was like, that was even more bloody. But B'nai and Satmar, I mean, I mean, it was, it was violent. It was very, in Israel, especially, I mean, they broke people's, they broke people's bones and, you know, it was serious
0: shit. They, they weren't playing around. Right. I was there when the guy, uh, Zamalayib, who is now the Rebbe in Williamsburg, yeah. he was, he was the roof. He was, he was the, the Saba Ruf yeah. Right. And, uh, so my yeshiva was like three blocks away from there. Yeah. What yeshiva was that? It was some small yeshiva. I think it was I don't know. Whatever. Some small yeshiva it was like maybe 50 guys whatever yeshiva lives somewhere you know exactly yeah <laughs> like let's let's get him out of the house you know <laughs> yeah it, it, to me it was a godsend because i was in this hell of a yeshiva in, in muncie as soon as i had the opportunity i was like i am no questions asked i'm there send me I'm, I'm i'm happy to go you know what i mean yeah i had a guy in my yeshiva in muncie i
1: had a guy who came to our yeshiva from your yeshiva you know yankee Jan- rosenberg i don't
0: know i don't remember no. okay
1: there's a couple of like who came from that. It was like the stories that I and I'm not talking about like, you know, like regular just you know Catch. being
2: kid. right.
1: Yeah, I, this, the stories I was hearing from the from the former students of that guy. What was his name? Goldbrenner? Gold Goldbrenner, Right.
0: Yeah. The was Blums. The was Moshe 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 No Blum. Yeah. And the, was his right hand man.
1: Well, well, he called him. He called him. Yanki uh, Rosenberg called him Bilam. <laughs> Yeah. Plum, called golden, right, right. These people were monsters. Like, yeah. no, no kidding around. They were like legitimate. Like, the, like, even I, who has been through the ringer, you know, I have been through the fucker. I was beaten viciously as a child. But like the stories that were coming out of that yeshiva
0: were like, even for us, it was like, Right. Wow. So to us, corporal punishment, a patch, like a slap here and there right. was, was acceptable. That was how you raise a child. But in Blooms Yeshiva, this was like, it was a whole nother level. This was, he, me personally, he smashed a a coffee pot over my head. They used sticks and they pushed your head through a sheetrock wall. It was, it was, I I saw kids covered in black and blue marks. It was, it was beyond, beyond anything you can imagine. It's fucking insane. Yeah. It was absolutely insane. Yeah. But so that's why as soon as I, I had the chance, as soon as a guy came from Israel, he was looking for Buchanan, I was like, sign me up, I'm going. I didn't ask any questions. Let, get, let me out of here. Yep. Yeah.
1: And I, so when I, when I was in London, I would spend, instead of going home for Yom uh, Neroom, you know, for Roshunim Kippur know, and Sikis, I would go to Israel and then I would just go back to London to Yeshiva. Mm-hmm. So I spent uh, many Yom in, Neroom in, in Jerusalem. So I got to experience all of that. I mean, those were good times. I mean, those
0: were fun times. I, I had a good time there. I, I, was, I was the same thing. I got, I got to Israel like El time. So I was in yeshiva for a month, and then yeshiva closed for Tishrei. So I just spent the whole time touring around. I slept in, in, in some big yeshiva. I forget where. We got,
1: oh, we got into so much trouble. I mean, that was one of those things about Shabab that I loved. That show, Have you watched Shabab yet? I don't think so, no. Oh, my God. No. Oh, no. Where is it? Is it on
0: Netflix? It's it's available. It's, okay. Uh, I'll, I'll, we can I'll find see. it. Yeah. What's the other Israeli one? There's two Israeli, or two that I know of. Stissel, and what's the other one? There's another one. Um, I don't remember well, what it's called. There was one earlier called Simon La? Right. No, I
1: don't know. Which have another didn't one. do that well. Then was Autonomia, Autonomy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Yeah, I don't know. But I'm... Um, uh, oh, but it's good. The, Crazy times. I mean, we did some dumb fucking <laughs> Israel. Yeah. We were teenagers and young and on- dumb and no supervision. Oh yeah, and we would go on those trips to Morantzvasteria. Mar- right, failure yeah. Right, but I never went to any of the bad places. I really did go to that but-
0: You and me both. I was I was a good boy. Yeah. I, was, I was going to these places it was interesting but i remember i once went to i slept all the way because i heard there was a kosher mcdonald's i was like oh that sounds interesting so i, I took yeah. a bus to another bus and i walked the yep, 17 yep, miles well, yes, but like, i got there time. and i saw the heksher and it was only rabbanut or something i was like no it's not kosher yeah. enough forget it <laughs> see but I, mean, I was a good boy i wasn't gonna you know no i mean i remember going to the
1: mikvah i mean i'll never forget yes that
0: oh my god that thing was freezing I mean, that thing is so
1: freezing. You cannot like it's one of the things that you could never, ever possibly forget in your life.
0: Right, it's like burned yeah. into you,
1: you know. But like all those things, and like uh, I remember, like I was going with my, uh, oh God, I had this friend. I, I can't remember his name, but he was like this. He was a very large person,
2: mm-hmm.
1: okay, and he was older than us. Like I was like maybe seventeen, you know, sixteen or seventeen, and he was like he was an alt. He was an Altebuche. you know. He was like in his twenties. Yeah. And of course, like the, the rumor is that, you know, he's, you know, he can't get married because he's so fat, even though like fat people get married all the time over there. But like, whatever, he becomes a snabb. And he's this really big guy who's been around the block. So he's done these trips many times. And, you know, we're talking about like the 2000s. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he is definitely, he wakes us up at like 4 a.m. So we can beat traffic, right? So we can get to Moran or like, right. I think we started in Tveri, Yeah. So we started in Tveri, I think. And he decides he's going to take, he's going to take a B'Kah, mm-hmm. you know, which for people who don't know, this is, this is the highway that goes through the Palestinian territories. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it was built by Israel. So it's, it's like, it's, well, it's like considered area B with like neutral territory, the road, mm-hmm. but it's surrounded by Arabs. And this is a time when like things were like scary. Right,
2: right, right.
1: You know, like if you drove down that road with Israeli plates, you know, you, you were likely to get shot at.
0: The buses have bars or yeah,
1: stuff on that. Bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bulletproof car, you know. We're we're doing this in a fucking rented car, you know, a Hertz mm-hmm. rent.
2: Yeah.
1: At four o'clock in the morning, you know, packed like sardines, you know, mm-hmm. and, Piled in in the bar. and we did that. We came out alive on the outside. We got we got the Tferie and this is just you know, it's one of those things where we're talking about like the crazy things did in Israel. It's just one of those images that I will never ever forget is that the the big guy whose name I'm forgetting, knew of this buffet at a hotel in Tveria. Yeah. And all-you-can-eat buffet. And that's where he wanted to go for all of us to get breakfast. Mm-hmm. So we go to the buffet, we get breakfast, and like every each one of us, even though we're like really obnoxious Hasidim, mm-hmm. you know, in-age Hasidim,
2: right. we're
1: still yeah. all being fairly normal, like taking a little bit of this, a little bit of that, like normal food, like maybe a little bit more that you can eat, but like... He shows up at the table.
0: He piled it on.
1: With two plates stacked with pancakes. And I am talking stacked a foot high. Oh, my God. Okay. Puts it down. Goes back. Mm -hmm. And he keeps coming back with mountains of food. Yeah. (laughs) And he ate it. Oh, boy. All of it. And that is the one thing that i remember from that day that i will never ever forget more than all the
0: mcum segregation well i remember the i remember the the road the anti gravity road near amuka i i know i was at amuka i was actually at amuka twice which is yeah. probably why i got divorced you go once you get married the second time it ruins it well you know there's a
1: road over there that supposedly like you can put your car in neutral and it will go up i don't remember and I, that's what I remember. And I remember seeing it, but I, I think I did, re- I did research on it. It turns out it's an optical illusion. Right. I've heard of such a thing. I didn't yeah. know they had one there. Yeah, because of where you're standing or something and whatever that looks like it's, yeah.
0: Right. It's an illusion. Yeah. Well, anyways, so that's music. That's the story. I've we, 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 I, I mentioned this in previous shows. I'm unapologetic about it. I still, oh, I am.
1: Yeah, I don't care. I'm, I, listen I'm, to, I'm, I
0: listen to everything. I still listen to that old stuff. I keep up to some extent with new stuff. I think, by the way, Sh- Shragi Gestetner put out his first album was was I think the best. I know him really well in forever. I know him really well. I think his his album his or his first one was one of the best in decades. Honestly, yeah. He also yeah. He's great. I don't, he should do he should do more. And and Yiddish Naches Moshe Kros is a genius. Doing you great know, there stuff. is good stuff.
1: Yeah, she is doing great stuff. Yoli Harovitz is doing great stuff. Yeah. You know, funny, Early Horowitz is like, is my uh, sister's first cousin. Oh yeah? Yeah, she married into that family. But yeah, like it's funny because I watched this stuff and Moshe, Moshe Kroos, I sang with him, I sang with him at the Kretschner wedding. Really? Yeah, I sang, I was part of the choir. Me, Moshe Kroos, Amram Aker, and uh, I forgot who the other one was. And Iron Lave was playing.
2: Nice.
1: Yeah, and we sang together. I've sung with Aaron Lave. I've sung with, uh, I mean, the, the old school guys, I haven't done any. It's funny, I've, I've sung with, uh, what's his name? the drum the drummer of uh, the other band uh, avromi avromi, uh, schreiber. avromi schreiber yeah i've i've played with him back when they were like really beginning when like it was him and and uh, the mendy Mandy mendy mm. haskovic i i i was in his first studio yeah working with him yeah, i mean i was nobody i wasn't going anywhere like when i was i, I knew them and i've played with them and i've you know i've had some uh, I, in some interactions, it's crazy, but like they, they're doing great stuff. I think that that was the generation that was like really started changing things. And Right, uh, when it
0: became, it, it slowly started to become more acceptable for community members themselves to be musicians, to be in the business instead of going out and right. hiring. But also it's you like, have to remember, you have to
1: remember that before that, okay, this is what's interesting about this. And I think people don't talk about this enough, the evolution of Hasidic music. It's, it's a very interesting, it's an important conversation to have. I think if you think before that, right? There, there was Yontevelch, right, right, and like I'm talking about like the '60s and mm-hmm. the '70s. Okay, there was Yontevelch, and then at Hasanus you had basically mostly Goyim, um, or Klezmer. reading, really playing sheet music, yeah, or Klezmer musicians from the Yiddish theater, the leftovers from the Yiddish theater,
2: right.
0: who
1: knew the songs, who knew the old people, and it wasn't until later that like you started having the one-man bands, right? You know. It was much, much later, like the eighties. That's when the one man band started. And that's when you started having, having Ivan involved and a Goldberger and those people coming up. Khamisoul
0: Halpern, yeah.
1: Khamisoul Halpern, yes. And like, and uh, Koyan, what's his name? Uh, Yossi Kohn. Laba- Yossi Kohn.
0: Yossi Kohn played at my
1: wedding. Really? Yeah. He's good, yeah. yeah. Those, th- then, because, th- because in the seventies, the late seventies, you started having Scalene putting out tapes, right. Mabavet putting out tapes, you start having bells putting out tapes. Visionists in Israel was putting out stuff. Out Be- yeah. You know, and even Satma started to put out a few tapes, Akufa tapes.
2: Right, right, right. Akufa, you know.
1: And so that, that's, that, that's when that started. And before that, the people who were singing at the weddings, the big Satma the weddings, and the big bells the weddings, were people from the community. They were the community singer. They weren't like, they weren't for hire. You know? Right, that wasn't their job. Yeah, and also nobody had a singer at the wedding. There were no singers. It wasn't the a thing, Yeah. You know, nobody had a singer. It was just a the musician. There was just a one-man band. When we were kids, we were small kids. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was always just a the one-man band. There was no singers. And then you started having Monarcha Ben David, you know. Mekhu
0: Schnitzler. Machu Schnitzler was the Machu first honored. wedding singer to become yeah. a star. Exactly.
1: Schnitzler, yes. that's for sure. For sure. Mekhu Schnitzler. And that's when the whole like style singing came in. Right, right. That thankfully went away. <laughs> uh, because that was fucking ugly. But Mekhu Schnitzler was the first, like, yeah, Hasidische star. Uh, Who started
0: of, out as a wedding
1: singer and then became, and started making albums. And, yeah, yeah. Because Yami Adamen wasn't singing at weddings. Even Azekonig wasn't singing at weddings. Azekonig right. was a and Then Azekonig came along and then, and then all these, basically the singers started happening. It became a, an industry. Yeah. And then like the beginning, there was Yankee Katina and his guitar and there was no, like, you know, like, that was like the big deal. He had a guitar at his wedding. Right,
2: right.
1: Um, the people who had bands at their wedding, you know, the, the bands weren't very good. There was the Nagina Orchestra and that, would, that was it. And Nagina right. really, Nagina just didn't work very well with like, you know, Tali Galt, you It know? wasn't their world, right? Yeah. It just was a different, uh, it was a different genre almost. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you started having Liepen, he brought the flutes and then you got started having that guy, what's his name? He died, Brach. Joli Brach with a yeah. saxophone. The saxophone,
0: yeah. Do you know sweet Goldring? Sweet Goldring. I, I, I was sweet Goldring's this? Chavis and Koil when he started, when he picked up the saxophone, and he started playing. and it, st- it just became more and more yeah. of a thing. And also at the same time, at the same time that was happening, Chilik Frank. Right in Israel, I yeah. Not prison. What? You know? I don't know about I that. He was in prison. Why?
1: Yeah, that's why he made his. That's why he made his first album, Chaz that, Why was that, he in
0: prison? I
1: don't know what it was. It was I
0: insane. remember seeing him when again when I was in Yeshiva in Israel, he would play, he would go somewhere. Like he was playing somewhere uh Shiva, so we would all go over and, and to Israel, watch. Israel see the thing is Israel Israel was different. Israel had the Kletskins,
1: Israel had the, the Yesha bands. Right. You know, they were all terrible. And they all
0: sounded very, very, very much alike. They were all sounding yeah. very similar or very
1: yeah. shrieky. They were all like just like very loud and very, like, very like Meyer Adler before Meyer Adler came along, you know?
0: Right. And very like. <laughs> <laughs> Meyer Adler's good,
1: yeah. Meyer Adler's fantastic, but they were yeah. doing like stuff. Meyer, Adler, Meyer Adler's genius was being able to do what the Yerushalayim drummers were doing in on a one-man band. Right. Yeah. That was his genius. He was able yeah. to rec- recreate that level of energy. You know, that
0: yeah. level of oomph without a band, that was his genius. So, like, this was... Not- and he also was also good at modernizing it. He would take yeah. that style and make it more contemporary, more modern, or more fun.
1: Yeah. He was taking massive risks, you know, musically. And he was like,
0: of course... Him he- and Adela summit Adela summit yeah. is a genius at what he does. Yeah. So, like, him, they
1: were taking huge risks and, like, fucking up a lot. You would go to an event, they would hit them play. Like, he would sometimes miss, you
0: know, and, like, come in late and, like... But because he was good at he was good at improvising. He would fix. Right. He could yeah. fix. You know what I mean oh, yeah. on so the fly.
1: But this was all happening. This was, so. This is happening all at the same time. You're having these stars emerging. Chilik Frank, Chilik Frank, Arela Samet, and and Mayer Adler became like this thing. A team, right? Yeah. To have them together was like oh my god, you know, like you have the trifecta. And <laughs> yeah. New York, you were you started having Shira was starting up. Um, was just starting at the time. Was brand new. It was still Favo gold, you know. What's um, the name, the
0: redhead? He, he, he he's probably came later. Jöli um, Horowitz, no? Early who? Early Horowitz? No, the I'm someone else. I don't know. Anyways.
1: Anyways, or like Shira was coming up. Podrigal? Maybe. I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. So Shira was, Shira was coming up, and then Mandy Hershkowitz and Avromi Schreiber were coming up and creating their thing. And Farkash, you know, on the trombone, you know, like, so that, the, so those, that's when the bands started happening and Leaper was already like big at the time. So you already had the singers and then you started having Barry Weber and all those, and all that garbage and all that stuff. That stuff I don't care for. That whole era, that whole era from like Leeper. Lipa, on. Yeah, so like the entire, like you, I am canceling basically 2005, I guess. to About that,
0: yeah. I, I think Leep is a complicated figure. I yeah. think his best he is very good at certain things. He when he tried to branch out, he, no, he was best, a little bit. He was best right in the middle. He was right, best, yes. his, his best, best album top. to me is Kinahara. That album Kinahara and Gramsciva too. Like those two were like you know,
1: that's when we were when he was at his best. Sweet spot. Was, yeah, because he was he was he was like blatantly plagiarizing. And he was blatantly- But blatantly
0: he, was, he was doing a good job. He was yeah, exactly. good at it.
1: Yeah, he was really good at like, he created a new genre, a new thing. It was fresh. It was interesting. It was totally, it was borrowed from all the good places, all the good right. parts, all the good places. He was places. stealing right. He was and stealing he writes
0: right. good lyri- lyrics. Yeah. The music was well arranged. And he and wasn't stretching too far. He wasn't yeah. stretching his abilities. Right. When and he, he also was- wasn't-
1: he also was wasn't stretching Hasidic music too far, right? Because then Barry Weber came along and just started doing weird shit. To me, it's shit. too much. Yeah, you know, I'm like, that's like, I don't, you know, like, I get it. Like, I, I don't know, I don't know who you think your audience is here, but like, if you are aiming for like the Hasidic teenagers, then teenage girls, <laughs> then, uh, then I guess you got your demo. But like, I didn't, I don't get it.
0: We don't fit that. That yeah. So yeah.
1: Now you're at a point where like the musicians, like the musicians are good enough. They're good enough, right? You know, and like the choirs are good enough and the the work is good enough that now they can take this old Hasidic music that was like originally recorded so badly and like- And do it, right. And like make it nice. And like they're doing all these older songs and they're like just- I
0: think Moshe Kros is a genius. Everything I've heard come out of him is amazing. Yeah. And you know what? He started out, I remember when he started out. It was, you know, I remember when he started out.
1: Um, Yeah, I didn't think much of him. I thought, you know, it was just like, boring guy <laughs> just a dude I, yeah it was the dude i did like he didn't like he didn't like impress me in any way like his energy was impressive like his like his drive uh was impressive so like he always had this like you know like I, i'm a pretty lazy person you know and he had this like just fire in him uh, so i think that that's what i do remember but it, it, like, he wasn't like you know i wasn't impressed by his singing voice or like his conducting ability or like his you know personality
0: but- in any way. he figured it out because the stuff his productions are top-notch oh i'm like i do not i'm like i'm i am i confess i was wrong you know
1: <laughs>
2: yeah
1: oh no i am not like trying to like in any way diminish. also
0: at least the with the yiddish naka stuff he i know he worked with yossi green who is has has 40 years of experience in this business so you know he learned That's from here. him loser yes it's been a pleasure but we can keep talking. Like I can do this all night long. We'll do part two next time. All right. After we get some feedback, and we'll see what people want to hear about, from us. Okay. I appreciate you see, letting me ramble on for like God knows how long. It's my pleasure. Listen, since I got off of Facebook, which was a hundred percent positive for me. Yeah, me too. It's harder for me to be stay in touch with people. So this is a perfect this is a perfect forum. You know, no, this is a perfect far, excuse.
1: It's funny, like it's it's like because I'm I i did not delete my I didn't delete my Facebook, I'm just not active on it. Mm-hmm. I would go on like uh, maybe like a, a once in a blue moon I would go on and like scroll through and like realize how much I hated it. Right, uh, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I don't, nothing, nothing from me on there. Uh, it's really it's, it's it's one of those things that you get off and like you really don't miss. You really, I don't miss
0: it for once. You really don't miss it. It's uh, just toxic. I thought, it's-
1: there's nothing. For me yeah. to do there there's like nothing on there for me
0: yeah I'm, I'm with you i don't miss it for one second so this is a perfect excuse for me to call up an old friend and say yeah. hang out and schmooze for a while so i love it and i've been doing that it's funny i've you know we, and i've been doing that i've you know
1: like a I, I did my podcast you know i did a virus
0: yes you should look it up that was a fun one too
1: yeah i i did it mostly you know i did it for i didn't do it for like you know like like you like i didn't do it for like a wide audience and stuff like i'm not trying to like get sponsors or like make it Try to make make a career out of, of podcast hosting. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I thought I, I like I had access to these incredible, not incredible people. people, interesting and all the people who happen to have the same background as us. I mean, it's, it'd be our vibe,
0: <laughs> <know>? An <laughs> and niche. niche, right?
1: You know, like who else can say that? Like one of their close friends, you know, works at the for Dr. Fauci. You know, right? Who right. else has a friend who is like the head of an ER department of like a large you know, hospital chain. Right. So, you know, you have access to these people and like, and, and Horwitz Horowitz, is, you, know, you know, as well. It's like, like, you have access to people, you can get this, this knowledge. There's no reason why not to do it and why not to
0: put it out for the world. To record it, right, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what was my thought. It's a, it gives me an excuse to reach out to people and say hi. Yeah. And I have all these interesting and, and, and smart and brilliant friends. It's, it's, it's a sin not to record our conversations and put it out there for the world.
1: I'm glad you have smart and brilliant friends, and I'm uh, honestly I'm not much of a prayer, but uh, you're not one of the smart that. and brilliant
0: ones. Don't thank worry. You. You're, yeah, thank you, thank you. I you're one, one of the pretty ones. That's what, but I have you know a mix of friends. It well, makes it life interesting. Hey, listen, you know,
1: if you want to praise me for the things I have no control over? Then okay, that's fine. You know, listen,
0: everybody get I, everybody I might
1: get credit for what I've done. You know, like this is not my work, but. Uh, I, you know, it's fine. I appreciate. I appreciate. I appreciate you considering me. A Be happy
0: with with what you got. You know what I mean. If that's what I you got working. Exactly. Exactly.
1: Good talking to you, man.
0: All right. Take care. You too.